Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to episode number 64 of the Primetime Rundown right here on the Eastern Observer. Our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Alongside my guys, Rob DeLuca and Mike Zavo, I'm Joey Jarzinka. Ian Schreier has the second week off. He is down in Ocean City, Maryland, enjoying a week off with his uh, his wife and daughter. So, Ian, we really uh, hope that you have a great second week off, and uh, we hope to see you back next week here uh, on our show, obviously. Mike Zabo, thank you so much for filling in for the aforementioned Ian Schreier. How are you? Doing great, Joey. And thanks to thanks for inviting me here once again. Great, always great to be with you and talking sports. There's no doubt, absolutely. And, uh, and we've got so much to talk about. Rob DeLuca, you're uh, we'll get to the NHL later on, but uh, how are things with you personally? Ah, looks like we may have lost Rob DeLuca. Uh, we'll see if we can get him. Oh, okay. We've got him back on DeLuca. How are things where you are down in Seaside? Well, as you, as you see, the Wi-Fi has not changed whatsoever, <laughs> even though we paid for more speed today. So clearly we're getting ripped off here, left and right <laughs> here, here in Seaside park optimum. You're the worst, but what we are as the, as a show here is the best. Got Mike here filling in for Ian. Always great to have him here. We've got Evan winter coming on to talk some, NFC South. It's going to be a phenomenal show. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, ladies and gentlemen. 8.30 Eastern time, we will be welcoming the lead writer of the Bucks Report for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and also a good friend of ours, Evan Winter, to the show. Be sure to send in some questions later on about anything Tampa Bay Bucks as well as the rest of the NFC South. So, again, folks, our show is presented to you by Black Cats NYC. Be sure to purchase their newest album, Free Cake, which is out now. Play loud on Apple Music, Deezer, YouTube, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Pandora, and Spotify. Also, ladies and gentlemen, be sure uh, to listen to us and subscribe to us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And also be sure to search us on YouTube at I-95 Sports Network. Guys, let's get things started here. Just three minutes past the top of the hour here on the East Coast. Guys, Major League Baseball, uh, Field of Dreams is happening in about three days in uh, Dyersville, Iowa. And for those that have never watched the movie Field of Dreams, uh, I got to tell you, you're all missing out. Mike Zabo, you have not watched it. Now, it let is me ask you. I'll eventually get to it. I'll probably wait, get to wait, it before wait. Thursday. Joey, how could you have someone on this show who has never <laughs> seen the greatest baseball movie in history? Well, I'll <laughs> tell you this. Let me let me tell you this though. This is this is big because. Our old host in Nick Partain, I remember, I'll never forget it, when it was first announced last year, he was still a host on the show, and he was a big opposer to it. I never understood why he was an opposer to it, because you're now putting a movie that people have seen, and I won't ruin it for Mike here, so he can really see the Kevin Costner hit, uh, you know, with, you know, with, with having, uh, with, with having no, uh, no, uh, no spoilers, if you will, but in my opinion, this is one of the coolest things. You're now seeing a, a movie that is supposed to be fictional really turn into real life, and you're playing on the in the, on the field that the movie was shot on. How cool is that, DeLuca? I think it's phenomenal. I think it's going to be one of the one of the greatest spectacles that baseball fans have gotten in the last five years, bare minimum. So it's it's going to be great for baseball. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm surprised they don't make it a whole series rather than just one game. Yeah, I mean, that would have been interesting. But, I mean, I guess that there's probably some logistics to that where 
Well, you know what? I'll tell you this, though. I like the logistics part, exactly what DeLuca said. But in my opinion here, in terms of having Chicago a whole series, stuff, so the White though, Sox just going to have to. Yeah. So, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, no, I don't. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on one second, DeLuca. So, your Wi Fi is cutting in and out. So, we're going to do the best we can here with you to try and, you know, keep everything going on here. Please repeat yourself. Uh, for the fans that are watching out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, once again, parents, if you're watching this, fix this, please. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, no, this is great for baseball. It's one of the greatest spectacles we're going to see for the sport in the, probably the last five years minimum. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun. While I do think it should have been a series, there's probably some sort of logistics about needing to play the game, a couple games in Chicago, something like that. So that's probably the issue there. Well, the thing now with me, and this is one thing that I'm not really a fan of, is having a whole series there. And I think personally, the reason why they wouldn't have the series there is because that allure. Nonetheless, this is going to be exciting. And let's right there's yeah exactly. And again, the the Wi-Fi bumped out there, so I I rudely interrupted Deluca there. But the bottom line here is is that with the Field of Dreams game, there's no doubt in my mind that if you have more than one game. <laughs> I have to, I'm sorry. I have to, I have to just, I have to interrupt this here. One second. So, so I think Mr. DeLuca has heard you asking, not even asking, I think telling him to fix this Wi-Fi. parents fix this. Oh, he heard. No, I'm glad they heard. Cause we, we're getting ripped off down here. We paid for more speed and it, and it got worse. <laughs> so, so, Mr. DeLuca there, you see your son's having a hard time down at your other place down, down south. My goodness. I'm but just trying to put on a professional manner here. <laughs> We're just but trying to, I, I got a ring light. I've got it. I've got everything I could possibly need except the Wi-Fi speed. It's just a debacle at this point. I'm just trying to enjoy my summer while trying to be professional and do this show at the same time. Going back to the to the field of dream uh, field of dreams they, game though, there the the allure of having it for three consecutive games. I think that's the part where you only want to make it one. But also, I'm sure that in the CBA or anything along those lines, and something that was agreed upon, is that you still have to play two more games uh, in Chicago. And I think that's the part where really people have to understand that is that you're playing one game in that in on on that turf uh, or on that natural grass rather in the cornfields, if you will, and. I think if you were to play more than one, you're losing that, you know, I think you are you want it to happen again, but you don't want it to be consecutive because let's just say it turns out bad, which I personally don't think it will. I think it's going to be phenomenal. You want it to just be once, get a test run, and then next year maybe you can try and do something different at a different site. Mike Zabo, what are your thoughts, especially since you have not seen the Kevin Costner film? That sound, I I I can agree with that point. Uh, you know, might get the allure might be lost in a in a in a whole three game set. I think the only problem with the game is that, especially on the Yankees side of things, you lose a little bit of the allure because they they just have such an injury problem right yeah. now. Anthony Rizzo would have been a huge thing to market going back to Chicago after just getting traded and going over there, probably seeing um, a couple of people that he obviously played against uh, um, you know a, a little bit here and there or new from the White Sox people um, or just you know I, I think he grew up in Chicago if I'm not mistaken 
Yeah. Or I think he might know people there. Um, he was there for a long time, I, I believe close to a decade. So, you know, a sort of homecoming for him could have marketed that. I think kind of lost out on that. And the fact the Yankees have so many injuries right now, even if they win it, it probably takes away a little bit of the star power. Yeah, and you know what? Something else that we want to bring up here is the the jerseys, the uniforms. And for those that are listening via audio, uh, take a peek on Twitter and search Field of Dreams game. Uh, you'll be able to see all of the uh, the uniforms there for um, for the White Sox and for the Yankees. Now, I think just by looking at this here, guys, you're able to see uh, Aaron Judge on the right. Uh, also Chicago White Sox on the left, obviously. And you're able to see how old school this really looks. How, I mean, again, I am always about having these, you know, whatever is old now becomes new. You know, we get to see so many things that really have revived, right? We've seen on television, we've seen, um, you know, the, the big saying, what is old is now new. We get to see on TV, for instance, game shows, right? You get to see uh, press your luck, for instance, match game, make a return. Uh, you've got so many things now, and now you're beginning to see certain things like this. Let's be honest here, ladies and gentlemen. I personally believe now looking into the hockey side of things, why not? Who says no to having things going on uh, at the 1980 Miracle on Ice site in Lake Placid. Why yeah. not? I mean, yeah, hey, listen, Joey, I think... Great site. Yeah. Yeah, Joey, it's a great site. It could work. The uh, National Women's Hockey League used it for their bu for their bubble season last year. And it, wa it was uh, for... I mean, I, w I would call it a success, but they didn't even finish a two-week season, so can't really call it that. But the setup for it was beautiful. The rink looked great. All the fan cutouts, all the the aside from COVID, literally in, infiltrating the bubble and ending their season yeah. two week season early. Yeah, the idea of it was great, so I think it absolutely should be run that way, and it, that's the way. It, there's no reason the NHL couldn't pull something off, especially now with us on the back end of this pandemic. Could def now can actually fill those seats with real people as opposed to cutouts. It would be a phenomenal spectacle. Right. Definitely something a sport of hockey would greatly benefit from. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I would not be surprised. And this something here for all the baseball fans here. And of course, my man, Brian Morales, director of media relations from Wagner College. Um, all good things ahead with, uh, with B of course, he has a little comment here, uh, saying the field of dreams, all stars might fare better than the current Yankees against the White Sox in that game. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong at that. And then also, uh, it looks like he got in a couple of minutes late, or maybe I'm, I'm just seeing this comment a little bit late. Uh, DeLuca cred, uh, cred with the, with the ring light, but still need the step and repeater banner. My guy. Yes. That, that one's actually that one's actually, you know, should be said to me. That one I still have to order for him. But um, but in, in terms of the Field of Dreams game, though, this is probably the best thing that we have seen uh, Rob Manfred do in his short tenure as commissioner of Major League Baseball. It has been a legitimate disaster uh, for him. It's been a legitimate disaster for the Manfred administration. Uh, all of these new, new rules um, that have come into play, all of these modernizing, progressive type um, you know, baseball in, you know, post, uh, not only post pandemic, but also, you know, really in the 21st century game, um, things at the time, I remember saying this on this show that the game of baseball is dying. And it, it really was the truth. When you look at some of the numbers, um, of the viewership and we got to see it, um, you know, it, it, 
we got to see it a few years ago when teams were unable to even get over 20,000 people in the stands. Now we're beginning to see these little, you know, these things where Field of Dreams comes in and taking a playbook out of uh, out of hockey, really, because you get to see hockey was in Lake Tahoe last year. They were in Yankee Stadium. They've been in Fenway Park, etc. The list goes on. This is a massive kudos uh, to uh, to Major League Baseball and to Rob Manfred for being able to get this done. Um, and that series will start on t- Thursday. That should be 8 o'clock on Fox. Uh, that's going to be a nationally televised game. They have a day off on Friday, and then they will continue that three-game set Saturday and Sunday because, obviously, uh, they have to do the travel from Dyersville, Iowa. Uh, the first Major League Baseball game to ever be played in Iowa, by the way, will commence on Thursday, and then they head back to Guaranteed Rate Field uh, in Chicago, uh, south side too used to saying U.S. Cellular U.S. Cellular Field, but uh, they lost that contract a little while ago. Uh, Mike, I want to go right to you. It was a perfect segue with Anthony Rizzo being on the COVID IL. Most likely we'll be returning on the 18th of August. DeLuca and I will be seeing him. Uh, we expect there that hope night. To, hope uh, to. Yeah, yeah hope, we hope to, obviously. Uh, from what Aaron Boone has said, uh, he does have some mild symptoms. Um, it looks to be on the right path, um, you know, on his recovery. Um, but he's out. Luke Voigt came back yesterday. The Yankees fell in the game against uh, Seattle. They were looking for that four-game sweep. They've won eight. They've won 18 of their last 26, best in Major League Baseball. Uh, the Yankees are on an upswing here. The three of us are all Yankees fans, and we don't have to see Ian rolling his eyes while uh, while hearing, you know, while talking about the Yankees. So. Uh, this is a great panel, obviously, for the three of us to talk about the Yankees. Mike Zabo, I want to start with you. Ever since the trade deadline, what have you seen aside from Gallo, Rizzo? I don't even want to include Andrew Heaney in there because he's been a legitimate disaster. But those two, really, they've really come to play. And this team is almost invigorated by those uh, by those acquisitions. Well, that's exactly what Brian Cashman wanted, if not the impact of those two big bats coming in, at least that it's going to invigorate everybody else and, and get everybody else going and getting out of some of the players who are having offensive slumps, whether it was coming into the deadline or for most of the season. So if not for, you know, bringing Gallo and Rizzo in, you know, for just their own offensive performances and boost the team, the hope was to invigorate everybody else. And it sort of has, I think there's been an urgency delivered into the locker room that, you know, the calendar's turning to August. It's time for us to start making up some ground in the division. And you can especially see that the way that, the way that Aaron Boone manages games where he's throwing some guys out there, maybe some high leverage relievers before Chapman went on the aisle or uh, green or Britain or whatnot, um, putting them in instead of, sort of like being at a point in the game where, okay, we're, we're done. You know, we've thrown out our best strategy. It's not working. We'll just come back again tomorrow. I highlight the game where a couple of weeks before the deadline were there in Boston and they had that absolute horrible collapse where they lost and they gave up a, a three, nothing lead or a three, one lead going into the ninth. And uh, they wind up going, losing an extra innings. Yes. And it's like, all right. Chad green was your best reliever. He didn't have it. But the problem was, what was the strategy? You put in Brooks Kriske, like when you yeah. still thrown in Zach Ridden or something like that. It sort of was just like a move. Okay, we're just punting it. Hopefully, Kriske can get us the three outs. If not, well, 
we'll just, you know, play again tomorrow. And it seems like from that until from, you know, those moves until what you see now is a complete change in, in the mindset of Boone. And that's carried out to the rest of the team that they need to be more urgent, play more urgent and, you know, start racking up some wins. And it's shown in the standings. And something else, too, that we've been able to see as well. Uh, we got to listen to Aaron Judge yesterday. Unfortunately, I don't have the uh, the pregame video of what he was talking to Meredith Morakovitz of the S Network about. But he said flat out that uh, in the locker room, they were having some mental issues as well in terms of getting that uh, that oomph back in the lineup and really feeling confident and now with Rizzo coming in, with Gallo coming in, uh, really th the mindset has changed in that clubhouse. And now you're able to see it. And there's no doubt about it. You're able to see, as I brought up earlier, 18 of their last 26 games have all been winners. Uh, and something else too, guys, um, you know, there is a big target on the Yankees back. And you know what? And the reason why I say that is because it's not the it's not the fact that they're in third place in the AL East. Fact of the matter is is that they're still chasing Boston. Boston did not really make a lot of um of deadline moves. The Yankees did, the Toronto Blue Jays did, the Tampa Bay Rays did. Um and really right now with the with the injuries or the injury front and as well as the COVID front, we now see Gleyber Torres go on the IL. Um, we also got to see Luis Severino, who's going to be making a start, uh, I believe in Scranton or in Somerset on Friday, uh, mm -hmm. to see where he, he, his availability is at following a two year disaster, yeah. uh, with the former ACE, if you will, uh, Corey Kluber, who pitched no hitter early on in this season, he's scheduled to come back. So really you've got a lot of deadline acquisitions, if you will, that really could be making a comeback for this Yankees team and not only just, you know, give them a little more oomph, but also once all of these guys come back, in addition to Gio Urshela, this, this lineup is really something that, that the rest of the AL East is not going to want to look at. And right now we get to see the Boston Red Sox. They're not, they, they have lost, I think what, four of their last five or five of their last six or something along those lines. It's lost bad. Their last 12. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad for them. And yes, maybe on Sunday, they might get a little bit of Chris sale action, but DeLuca, I want to stay with the New York Yankees here. And, you know, and I brought up how, how maybe a target on their back They're they're beginning to see it. And something else also that I don't know if any of you guys heard, there was a, I believe it was a tweet or something that was said in the clubhouse, but I believe it was Rooknet Odor who never played third base before at the major league level. And he was a little skittish about his uh, role at third base. And obviously you have no choice but to play him there. Um, and, and right now you had Anthony Rizzo who said, don't worry, I will be able to catch any ball that is thrown my way. That's really a good a good leadership role that Anthony Rizzo is beginning to play on this team. What have you seen uh, from this Yankees team and really in the last 26 games? Uh, just re a reinvigorated squad is what we've seen. It's it seemed the after the trade deadline, Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo, this team found a spark and they're, they're on a roll despite last night's loss, but they are playing a lot better baseball. They are, they are hit. They are hitting the ball more, and and they're not always trying to go for the home run as this team had a 
reputation of doing. They're trying to win these games by small ball now. Well, they are the Bronx Bombers for a reason. Well, sure, you get you get what you get your reputation, but nonetheless, that's just not always going to work, even in a park like Yankee Stadium. Sometimes you just got to play the small ball. Teams are figuring it out. You, you know, tonight's lineup is an interesting one as the Yankees are just getting underway here against the. Uh, Kansas City Royals. They're actually They're in right. Kansas City. They've got, I believe, about eight oh five start since the Central mm-hmm. Time Zone. Oh, that's right. There, it's eight o'clock. But yeah, the, the it, lineup was shuffled a bit. DJ LeMahieu for the first time as a Yankee batting fifth tonight. So that'll be an interesting move to see. I mean, it's a move that a lot of fans were hoping would happen because DJ just hasn't been the DJ LeMahieu that we paid. But he, by by no stretch of an average baseball player, he's still playing good baseball. It's just not up to DJ LeMahieu standards. Of course, there's the uh, never-ending question about Brett Gardner and why he continues to lead off the lineup because fans are like, it's good to see DJ out of the lineup or out of the leadoff spot for a break, but then to put in a struggling Brett Gardner, it just leaves a little bit of a head scratcher. And now Aaron Judge is batting third. It's it's a it's an, it's one of the more interesting lineups Aaron Boone has put this year, and but over but you know me personally the way they've been playing, uh, if it's not broken, don't fix it, and it seemed like it was finally getting back to yeah, the, literally help. You know, like it's it seems like every time the Yankees are starting to figure it out, Aaron Boone finds the way to put us back into some pain because so for whatever so Brian Morales pain. So Brian, I don't mean to interrupt you. Brian Morales says DJ to five, cool with Gardner leading off. Help, help me. me, pain, nothing but pain. But no, nonetheless, it, it DJ did need to be moved, not necessarily for Brett Gardner, but not much you can really do there. And but overall, I'm liking the direction this team's finally taking. They're only two and a half back of the Red Sox now, and they're only six back of the Tampa Bay Rays for first place. So this this what was what seemed like a runaway for Boston and Tampa it was just going to be a two team race right to the end for the AL East has now turned into a four team dogfight, and it is going to be a fun rest of the summer. Well, this is something else, too, guys, is that there's going to be a uh, brand new shortstop uh, who's going to be making his uh, debut for the New York Yankees, Andrew Velasquez. Uh, He was drafted by the Arizona Diamondbacks back in 2012, round seven, pick number 243. Uh, He is actually a Bronx kid out of Fordham Prep. So uh, he's essentially making his homecoming, if you will. He was with Scranton Wilkes-Barre for the majority of, um, of the season. Um, so, you know, the, the cool thing there, um, is that, you know, you've got a hometown kid that's going to be playing in Kansas city and in his, um, you know, in, in his, uh, in his favorite team's colors, of course, or in his favorite team's uniform, which is a cool thing. But the bottom line here is, is that now I'm starting to get a little worried about the depth part. Um, once Gio Urshela comes back, we might see a little bit more, but, um, you know, and I'm not saying that Andrew Velazquez at age 27, who's also a switch hitter, 
Um, you know, he can do damage. We don't really know much about him, but I'm, you know, you, you start to look at that lineup and exactly what Rob DeLuca said is, is that it kind of gets a little scary when you see certain things like that, guys. Anyone, any, any, Joey, anything to get uh, anything, anything to see less of Tyler Wade at this point is, what, well, is where I'll I think tell you this, Tyler Wade on. is actually playing and playing third base, batting eighth. Tonight. Yeah, he is. No, he even with the, I thought this call up meant Tyler Wade was going to be sitting out tonight, but no, they decided to give Odor the night off for <laughs> no re, for no good reason really and uh, I, I mean, mean look, look, look I mean, yesterday he wasn't supposed to... go ahead mike i mean yesterday's play where tyler wade like let the foul ball bounce right in front of him right on just told you everything you needed player, to know but about at this point he... and, and no, nobody used to care because he would be a bench player pinch runner and all now he gets exposed because he's playing a lot more often and how awful he looks. I mean, the, the only thing he has going for him is at least he can play other, you know, positions or whatnot around the infield, but he, he literally can't do much on offense. Velasquez, I will say he's, he's interesting to see what he has. Um, he, he's been pretty good in AAA. I think he had last month, uh, he had an 850 OPS down in AAA. He has the, uh, good base stealer. Um, he has the most stolen bases in all of AAA. Um, this season so that is actually correct yeah just we're just reading that right now yeah yeah that's and you know what and that's 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 really something else I mean listen maybe some maybe a and I don't want to call Velazquez a random soul but to New York Yankees fans he really is and we'll see what he can do tonight starting tonight at around 805 uh, that game can be seen on MLB.tv yes network wherever uh, you may be catching baseball. Uh, guys, let's keep on moving forward here, and I want to head over uh, to Queens and look at the New York Mets, who have been a complete dumpster fire. And if Ian Schreier were here, he would probably agree. Um, would. It's a legitimate it's a legitimate disaster with the New York Mets. Uh, they were really bad against the Philadelphia Phillies, like really bad, guys. Uh, DeLuca, we gonna, we're going to start with you here. Um, the Mets right now are in a legitimate free fall. This is something that we got to see in 2015. We got to see this in 2016, yet they still made the wild card game against San Francisco, yet they lost in, I'm sorry, not 15, 2014. Uh, uh, no, 2016, excuse me, 2016. They were on pace to actually do very well. Uh, 2015, obviously, they made the World Series. Um, but 16, they made it against the San Francisco Giants. They were in line at the all-star break to win the division. And then things went very south. Um, again, we're looking now. They're two and eight. They were swept by or two and eight in their last 10. They were swept by the Philadelphia Phillies, who have won their last eight of 10. Um, I mean, this this division was in their hands, and now it's gone. They went from first to third in a span of three days, DeLuca. It looks like the injury bug really hit the Mets hard this time. Like, I mean, look, that Mets fans will use that excuse every year for them, but that but the problem is, it's the truth. That this they don't they don't catch a break when it comes to the injury bugs, and it's always their most important players. They don't yeah, have Francisco Lindor. They don't have Jacob DeGrom. They don't have Noah Syndergaard. They're losing everybody that matters. So what I am wondering is what the Mets had to do was just try to exist and hold on. They didn't need to sweep anybody. They just needed. To, they didn't even necessarily need to win every series. They just needed to not get consistently swept. 
And unfortunately, it came at a sweep came and it came at the hands of the worst possible opponent, a division opponent, and not just a division opponent, a division opponent that was chasing you all season long in the Philadelphia Phillies. And it has now allowed the Phillies to propel themselves, Joe Girardi, Didi Gregorius, Ronald Torres, and company into first place in the NL East. And they are right now in a, a, a small, comfortable lead over the Atlanta Braves, who have found their moxie a little bit to try to get back into their way of playing and possibly get back to that division title that they were heavy favorites for at the beginning of the year. We will see where this goes from here, but it's an interesting stretch to say the least in Queens. Not a fun time to be a Mets fan. Guys, it is a legitimate disaster. We got to see Edwin Diaz completely implode. Javier Baez is day-to-day now following, a, uh, I believe, an exit that he had. I believe it was yesterday or the day before. Um, Jacob deGrom is on the IL. David Peterson is on the IL. Sean Reed Foley has been on the IL for a long time. James McCann has not been performing up to par. Uh, Jeff McNeil, he, him and Pete Alonso are the two that are trying to keep this Mets up, uh, keep them afloat. Things are really, really going downhill. Guys, Mike Zabo, I got to ask you this question. Obviously, you know, the Mets are not our team, but this is, this is an all-time high uh, or an all-time low for a Mets fan. And I'll tell you why also. And I just want to give my opinion here is because we got to see Steve Cohen's tweet. Also, where he said, "Yeah, I'm gonna go give a uh, a little pep talk in the clubhouse here today." Yeah, they got these guys were fired up. Well, guess what? It credited it, or it, it resulted in a loss, a shutout loss, no less. I think Steve Cohen needs to stay off Twitter for at least a couple of weeks. <laughs> he, he's yeah. had this whole this whole time since he became owner in the off season. It's sort of you know he's had a lot of goodwill amongst the fans, freeing them from the will ponds and whatnot, and. Um, you know, he's had shared like almost this goodwill on Twitter, like, oh, there's a lot of positive vibes and whatnot. Now things are going down. And <laughs> I think he's got to get off Twitter a little bit because a lot of fans, he's not exactly in the good graces of fans right now, especially the um, the inactivity at the deadline. Because if they didn't get biased, strange because their whole season they were treading water. They had Injury problems, whether it was DeGrom, whether, you know, he had to skip a start here or he had discomfort here, resulting, you know, now into him having this long absence. They had at times through May and June, they had guys from their lineup that were out. Um, At one point, they were practically playing a triple-A team. And, you know, the message was constantly to tread water, tread water, tread water. And they did that really well. And then finally, everybody was getting healthy. They get out of the all-star break. The offense is finally coming alive. That was dead the entire season. And they had, up until the trade deadline, they had like the third most runs per game in the league. And then all of a sudden, it's just died out. Everybody sort of regressed back to what it was before the All-Star break, where they're 29th in the league in runs per game. The pitching is getting worse now. You don't have DeGrom. Stroman and Walker haven't been as consistent as they were earlier in the year. Um Jared Eikhoff, do we even need to discuss that? Um, Taylor McGill, he's a rookie. He's going to go through ups and downs. He just recently gave up four runs against the Marlins in a start. I think he had something similar a couple, you know, the start before that. And he's a rookie. He's going to go through those progressions. So, And Rich Hill, what's Rich Hill going to really give you? He's 41 years old. He'll be a good back end of the rotation guy. But, you know, he's not 
going to be great, especially when, you know, your other guys are struggling. Nobody was expecting for him to be an ace when they brought him in in the deadline. And certainly that's nothing, you know, close of what he is. And Carlos Carrasco, he's coming, you know, off of injury. So, you know, the pitching is starting to, is starting to falter and really fell apart this, uh, this past weekend. And their, their lineup is really starting to get, you know, starting to, uh, regress back to what they were before the all-star break and really not scoring not doing anything. And I always told, I told my Met friend friends that before this series, all right, they're not doing great right now, but it's not time to truly panic until we see what happens this past weekend. And it's one thing if they, if they would have won the series, probably you would have been like, you know, we're not doing so good, but at least we got out of Philly there with the series win. They had the worst possible outcome that you could possibly get. And I and what happened yesterday? Zach Wheeler, I've been telling Mets fans for a couple of years that it was a huge mistake to Z- let Zach Wheeler go. And boy, did Oh, my it- God, yeah. And not only that, too, Zabo, this is something else I want to bring up here, too. Do we remember, and I wish I could bring it up here, but for those fans that are out there that are watching us, Brody Van Wagenen, a couple of years back, when and Mike knows exactly what I'm going to say, when he said that Zach Wheeler was not worth the money that he wanted to come back. Oops, big oops, oops. <laughs> and something and something that and something that for for the for the frequent Twitter uh, follower or the 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 the, the frequent Twitter uh, users out there. What's the uh, what's the tag? Tweets aged poorly. Quotes aged poorly, if you will. What a disaster. The Mets clearly are not only a disaster, but they're still living in the Wilpon era. Why do I say that? Because if you think about it, who is their general manager and president of baseball operations? Sandy Alderson. And I think now, guys, what we were able to see here, right, is that Sandy Alderson was still a little cheap on, on a few moves. Yes, he was able to do whatever. Yes, he was able to do this and get Javier Baez. Now we made that we made that uh, that that point back with um, we made that point back with Tyler Adele last week, and we were talking about how there are things here that the Mets were unable to do. And yes, where Tyler and and Casey were trying to make the argument about Chris Bryant. Now, I agreed with Casey where there was no place to plug Chris Bryant because in left field, you've got Dom Smith. At third base, you've got J.D. Davis. But looking at some of these numbers here, anybody is better than some of those guys. Pete Alonzo, in his last 53 at-bats, he's got seven hits. And how many home runs? Two. Maybe for those that are out there that were so stoked that he won his second home run derby, maybe it's possible that after a home run derby victory, that there could possibly be some fatigue in the in the long ball. We there saw it. Be, we've seen it every seen year. It we've seen it Aaron, Ju- Aaron Judge. Peter uh, Pete Alonzo the first time. People yeah, Aaron Judge. Judge. Pete Alonzo the first time. It's not good, and 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 Deluca's Wi-Fi is is cutting it's in and out again. Prime example. Yeah. Go ahead, Deluca. You're back with of us. Co- of course he is. What else? 
Yeah, of, co- <laughs> of course I'm in and out again. What else? <laughs> but no, like, well, no, you, you, that, but we saw it with Aaron Judge. We saw it with Pete Alonzo the first time. We even, I mean, not as prominent, but we saw it with John Carl Stanton a little bit. He wasn't on the same tear that he was originally. So when he was in his Miami days, that is. But nonetheless, it, it, it does take a toll on these guys to swing your arms out trying to hit a home run every single at bat. It's going to – it's yeah. not good. That's the bottom line here. It's not good. And the problem here, too, for Mets fans is, is that they did not address – the, they did not address the rotation. They did yeah. not address the bullpen. They were only able to address Javier Baez as well as Trevor Williams. That's not enough. You need to stack up this, this roster. This roster is not that good. Yes, it looks good on paper, but it's very evident when you have Pete Alonso struggling, you need more than that. You need more. And Dom Smith, we have to realize just a few years ago, there was there were there were pitchforks out for Dom Smith. Remember when he started at first base after Lucas Duda? Do we remember that, Mike? Remember that, Rob? <laughs> remember that when when Dom Smith was supposed to be the first baseman of the Mets' future? Yeah, that yeah. didn't. He was supposed to be the he was supposed to be the next great Keith Hernandez. Well, guess yeah. what, folks? That didn't happen. So they make so they make a position change. He's now in left field. Great job. That's awesome. And they've now found Pete Alonso. That's great. But unfortunately, he's nowhere to be found. The pitching is a disaster. You you make a trade for Rich Hill, which is basically cash considerations or 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 low ball minor league guys. Um, you, you have Co- Cookie Carrasco, who right now you're expecting to be your number two until until Degrom comes back, and then you've got Marcus Stroman, who is now technically your ace right now. It's not good in Queens right now. Deluca, fi- uh, final thought. Okay, well, well, as we can see, as we can see, Deluca, Deluca again is having some Wi-Fi problems. So we're gonna throw it to Mike Zabo for uh, final. Yeah, well, just, you you, you tried. <laughs> Zabo, go ahead with your with yeah. Your let final. me just make this final thing that just as you were saying, Joey, about the trade deadline. I don't think enough people. I think I remember you know seeing this on Twitter too. And I completely agree. I don't think Mets fans understand how much damage the previous ownership administration did to this team. I don't think they realize it, especially what Brody Van Wagenen did to this team. And you saw it at this trade deadline. They should have gone after more help for the rotation. I mentioned on my podcast that I started back up last week that they should have went after John Gray of the Rockies. They should have raided the Rockies for either one of Herman Marquez or John Gray, probably John Gray. Or they should have gone harder after Jose Barrios, and they needed some help for the rotation. And like I said before, if it wasn't for Javier Baez, it would have been a very poor uh, trade deadline. And why? Because Brody Van Wagenen absolutely destroyed the minor league depth of that of the Mets' farm system. Last season, in the shortened pandemic season, they traded for Robinson Chirinos and Todd Frazier at the, at the trade deadline. In those trades, it's, I think it was in the Torino's trade, they traded their 2019 minor league pitcher of the year. What do the Mets need right now? Pitching. And they absolutely destroyed the minor league depth that they had. And that hurt them in this deadline and that they couldn't go after some of the names that I just mentioned because they didn't have good offers. I mean, teams didn't like what they had. 
it's a disaster. It's a legitimate disaster with the Mets right now. And 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 again, for and, and we're not trying to trash the Mets fans here. We're not trying to trash the Mets. It basically we're seeing a legitimate implosion here. And right now, against the Atlanta Braves, who are finally beginning to find their stride, as well as the uh, Philadelphia Phillies, where in actually our prompt, I wrote this down here, uh, where Bryce Harper could, I mean, I don't want to call it unlikely, but Jimmy Rollins, the former, former Phil, and, and I see DeLuca shaking his head. Don't no. do it. Don't say and I'm going to say it. I'm going Don't to say it. it. Where Jimmy Rollins came out publicly on MLB Network just a few days ago and said that there is quite a possibility that you could see an unlikely case for MV or an, uh, an unlikely uh, candidate for MVP I in Bryce Harper. Agree. Yeah, it is. It is unlikely. Let me tell you that. Let me tell you that right now. It, it, I'll tell you this though. Where, Listen, where was? Because can you real? Can you really make someone an MVP off of half a season? Because where were they the other half? That's it's definitely all because it's a, all because it's a hot second half. What? If, what if you had a? If someone had a smoking hot first half and then died in the second half, they wouldn't get the MVP because of how poor they played in the second half of the season because they're forgotten about at that point. So why should that why should that not apply to the same situation where you're dead in the first half, but you're on on the hottest streak ever in the second half? But and that puts you in contention because it's recent. That's the issue I take with it. Is that Zabo, your response? I I could agree with Rob, but I, I think the fact is that the NL MVP race is wide open. And I think Bryce Harper's played oh, himself no into that conversation. I mean, he he's his numbers are insane right now. He's, and nobody's realizing it. He's hitting over 300 right now. Um, you know, the main reason of why the Phillies have jumped up uh, into first place is, has to do with him and his uh, you know recent offensive hot streak. And, and nobody's really talked about it because of how bad the NL East has been how bad the Phillies have been at times this season that of, of how good of a season Bryce Harper is having. People forget about Bryce Harper because he signed this 13 year contract. Oh, you, you know, we just stashed him away in Philadelphia for the rest of his career. Um, everybody's forgot how good of a baseball player he can be. And I think the fact is the MVP race is wide open with the fact that DeGrom had it locked up the way he was pitching. And now he's practically injured, you know, from, June all the way up until, you know, mid-September. So he can't be the MVP. Tatis has been having injury problems. So you would think it would be Tatis that would be the next guy that would be, you know, be in line for the MVP award. But he's had injury problems now. And so, you know, who else is there that has, you know, good enough numbers to be an MVP? Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I want to go back to some of the numbers here uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies in their last 15 days, in their last 15 games. Bryce Harper, uh, you brought up, Mike, how they are, uh, or rather he is, uh, batting over 300, precisely uh, 395 right now, 17 of his last – or 17 of 43, five home runs, 10 RBIs, have only, has only struck out five times, walked 13, and seven of those hits were doubles. Uh, really amazing stuff. Odibel Herrera, Alec Baum, John uh, Seguera, uh, as well as JT Real Muto. Those five players are leading this charge for the Philadelphia Phillies, and they are not going away either. 
as we brought up earlier about Brody Van Wagenen's stupidity back a couple of uh, back a couple of years ago, again we are looking back and seeing what Zach Wheeler has done. Zach Wheeler, he has started his last three games. Two of those have been complete games. Twenty three and a third innings of work has only allowed seven earned runs, two homers, and four walks, twenty one strikeouts, and an opposing batting average of two oh two. I really have to credit Brody Van Wagenen for this. Think about it. Mentally, to some players that are out there, right, when you hear a comment like that, that really gives you the bump and the boost to really do well. And especially when you have a World Series champion manager in Joe Girardi to now go ring chasing, you're go- and, you're, and you're, you're trying to build off of what you started in the first half of the season. In my opinion, if it's not for Herman Marquez, Zach Wheeler, Zach, and I'll tell you why. We'll get to, to Herman Marquez in a moment, and I think he's an underrated, an underrated guy. Zach Wheeler has the NL Cy Young locked up. Could be, yeah, Joe. I, think so. I mean, it really could. Yeah, it's, uh, there's, I, I, it's really hard to dispute that right now. It's definitely fair, and again, obviously, you know, you have to look out in in Los Angeles, but those guys are again a little bit of injury, a little injury prone. Let's go to Herman Marquez in just a moment, but before we get to that, Brian Morales says transactions. New York Mets have announced that GM slash owners have been placed on the ten day IL for tweets that don't age well and poor deadline moves and motivational tweets. Per per New York Mets Twitter, that is our good friend, director of media relations. Uh, from Wagner College, Brian Morales. That, that that's that's pretty good. I gotta tell that's, you that. That's, that's phenomenal stuff right there from our. Fans. I mean, it, but you know what though? The sad part is, is that that's the truth. That's the sad part. Um, guys, let's keep on moving forward here and taking a peek at what Herman Marquez. I don't want to st- spend too much time on this since we've got another forty-five minutes until uh, our good friend Evan Winter comes in uh, and chats about the NFC South with with us, as most specifically the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But uh, Herman Marquez, the last time, guys, that we got to see an ace in Colorado um, was really never. Aside from uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, who else can we really think of? That has been an ace out there ever since the Todd Helton era, ever since the uh, the era of Troy Tulowitzki, Nolan Arenado, especially in, in, in Nolan Arenado's tenure in Colorado, there has not been an ace there. there. The pitching has been a disaster. But then again, how can you get pitching when pitchers are historically bad in that ballpark because you're in the Mile High City? I think a couple of years ago they had it was a 2018 or 2019 Kyle Freeland had like a crazy year yeah numbers and then fell off afterward um but yeah it's been bad pitching there I think Marquez he's he's a decent pitcher I think ace is a term I'd use lightly I, I think with the numbers of what um the Colorado pitching staff is I guess he's the ace but he he's kind of an up and down pitcher I think his ERA is like a 3-4, so that's kind of the pitcher he's always been in his career. Um, I don't know if he's typically an eight. If you put him on another team, another contending team, he's probably a high upside three or two. So I, I, I think he's just the ace of the Rockies just because of how bad they are. I gotta it's, go with my, yeah, I gotta go with Mike here. It's a tough, it's a tough play, but it's tough to play in Colorado right now when they're struggling the way they are. And and you and but I do agree, Joey, that Herman Marquez is flying under the radar a little bit. But 
but th- what can you do when you're when we're out here in the New York area and we're really only going to hear about New York related things? So of course, here on the East Coast, he's going to fly under the radar because he's all the way out in, in the Mile High City, well, take, take, trying to take care of business. But nonetheless. Overall, I'd have to go with Mike overall. I'd say you, you if you do put him on a different team, he's not even close to an ace. It's, it's more he'd he more fits in the as a depth depth rotation guy. But he's still a very yeah. useful player. He's a very useful player, but if you put him somewhere other than Colorado, probably not an ace. See, I want to just say here guys, looking at his at his record, 10 and 8, 3.42 uh ERA in 23 games started. Um, I don't want to call him an ace right now, but what I do want to say is, is that he might just be their best pitcher since Ubaldo Jimenez, which again is not saying much because then we got to see Ubaldo Jimenez's career literally tumble in front of our, in front of our very eyes. Uh, we asked the question earlier to all the fans out there and all the folks that are watching about who the last ace on the Colorado Rockies was, uh, that really people can think of. And our good friend, Brian Morales brought up Mike Hampton. Now, if I'm not mistaken, B, correct me if I'm wrong here. And again, looking at some of the statistics with Mike Hampton, um, I remember that, you know, there, and, and I remember that he was on a plethora of teams. That I remember. And I remember he eventually was, I believe, a two-time All-Star. That's without looking at some of the stats here. But now I'm going to really, you know, start cheating here and take a peek at it. And looking and seeing what he did in 2001 in his first full season with Colorado, he went 14 and 13 with a 5.41 ERA. He had a whole bunch of control problems, and this is kind of the part where a lot of people understand that Colorado is a legitimate disaster in terms of pitching because you have to look at you know there's you, you they give this money. Uh, Colorado, that is. They give this money to a lot of these power guys in in terms of the bats, such as Nolan Arenado, and they perform mightily. But the problem is, is that because it is a legitimate hitter's ballpark, we got to see it in uh, in the All-Star game, and we got to see Juan Soto hit a 520-foot home run. Why? Because the, the, the ball literally carries. There's no movement because you're so high up in, uh, you're, I think, what, a mile high. So that's what? 3,700 feet up uh, up in the sky, kind of? Correct me if I'm wrong, anybody. But again, you you look at what Mike Hampton did. Yeah, he was a uh, he was an all-star a few times. But after after pitching in, in, in Colorado, it, it went downhill for him. And I can't think of another, another starter aside from Hampton now uh, and Ubaldo Jimenez. Guys, uh, you know, let us know, please. Let us know on YouTube, on, on you know, comment here, please. And, uh, you know, let us know if there's any other pitchers that we could think of aside from uh, those guys. Because obviously we know in 2007 when they made the uh, the World Series against the Red Sox, it was Ubaldo Jimenez who was leading the charge. That was pretty much it. Uh, I can't really think of um, much anymore. Guys, uh, let's keep on moving forward here and let's uh, get out of Major League Baseball and move over to the ice. We were talking about earlier about um, about uh, Lake Placid, right? We were talking about that, but let's keep it here rather in the New York area. And I want to start uh, with New Jersey Devils. Now, New Jersey Devils legend Tomas Tatar, uh, as DeLuca texted me and said, we need some Tatar sauce, if you will, uh, for those fish sticks. Uh, that was probably one of the corniest jokes I've ever heard from him. And you uh, loved it anyway. That is that is definitely fair. Uh, 
and he signed to a two uh, a two year deal worth nine million dollars, four point five AAV. Uh, Deluca, what does this do for your team? I have been asking for Tomas Tatar on this team since he was in Detroit. This this is a player I have always been very fond of. And I think he's he's just a very solid depth player. He's gonna go well. He's gonna fit right there in that middle six for the New Jersey Devils, probably on that second line with with either Jack Hughes or Nico Hishio at, at center. So I think this is gonna be this is a great move for the team. Help them very much offensively. It's gonna really set themselves up to finally take that next step forward. And I think that it really helps now that and all and now all the restricted free agency have been signed. Yanni Kokinen was the last one, just signed his contract earlier today as well for two years at 1.825 AAV. That's a great signing for a young and an up-and-coming kid. He's he's gonna be great. And honestly, right now it is it the the light is beginning to shine a little bit brighter in Newark, New Jersey. And I'm, I'm not I'm not gonna put any reservations on playoffs yet, but the but I will say this the tanking it the the quote unquote tanking and loot and intentionally losing her bottom five finishes are over. They are no more in New now, Jersey. Now let me ask you this question. Thing. Now now the whole thing that I need to know here is that yes, their their cap hit right now is about sixty eight million dollars. They're eight million over the cap floor. Um do you think that they were just signing these guys to not only build the development, but are they chasing play? Can you say with a straight face here, DeLuca, that they are chasing the playoffs? I mean, what team isn't trying to chase the playoffs every the year Buffalo is the Rivers. real question. This is a 32-team league now, and everybody wants to be that a part of that 16 that makes the playoffs. And this is a team that is trying to be done with a 10-year rebuild essentially. And it's, it seems like it's finally coming to a close. They've drafted properly. They're signing the right free agents with $12 million or so left in cap space. I would expect one more move to be made by Tom Fitzgerald this off season, mm. primarily at third line center, which it's going to have. It's. Okay. So uh, as we are waiting for DeLuca's stream to buffer, uh, I want to go back to Zabo here, and you're a Rangers fan. We're not going to talk about Igor Shosturkin just yet. I want to stick to Tomas Tatar, even though the news uh, happened with him last week. Um, what do you think this does here for the Devils? I mean, again, me looking at it personally, I'm going to say that this is more of a development plan here for Tom Fitzgerald. And really trying really to want get two older players as Tomas Tatar at the age of 30. And we're going to go back to Zabo here as DeLuca's stream is De, DeLuca's stream. That entire thing cut out. Uh, I, 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 I know I because I, I did something strategic with the Wi-Fi and I'm praying it'll pay off because that was a long that was a long buffer there. So I, I did something and I'm praying it worked. So we'll just okay. have to see. OK, well, for those folks that are watching us uh, or decide to tune out, uh, it, we, we, we will see if it worked or not, because uh, if you tune out, clearly. Uh, it, it did not work, but uh, Zabo. No, it was clear. It was clearly. It was clearly the dumbest idea I ever had. I, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just. I'm. A, I'm a just never gonna try that again. That was the dumbest idea I could have ever made. But nonetheless, so yeah. If I could finish my, please, my point, please finish. Where yes, was, where was I when I cut out? Where was I when I cut off? I don't even know. Restart from the beginning. Yeah. No. So. Yeah, it was the age restriction. So. 
Fitzgerald kind of wants to keep this team younger because he feels that'll be better for the long-term success. Thomas Tatar is the oldest player on this team, or the oldest forward on this team now at the age of 30, P.K. Subban being the oldest player at age 32, I believe. So it, he doesn't like a lot of old guys. But with who's av- left available for, like, a depth center? Like, I would think someone perfect who's going to be nice and cheap as well because I don't want them I don't want this team to spend the entire cap in one offseason so I think someone like uh Tyler Bozak or even a um yeah Tyler Bozak or a Derek Prasard even who are they're in their mid-30s so you could sign them to two-year deals real cheap but it'll help the depth and the veteran leadership that this team will need to and that's what the second year is for because I firmly believe next season is when is the New Jersey Devils time to strike for the playoffs. So that's why I think a two-year deal would be important for one of those depth centers. So that's where I would put it. But overall, Tomas Tatar, great signing. Very very happy, loving the direction my New Jersey Devils are trending in. Zabo, uh, quick response. I think it gives them, you know, a good veteran experience. Tatar's been, uh, you know, experienced veteran. He's played in a lot of big games and will really help the develop. He's still, he still can play, no doubt, but um, you know, he's been in a lot of big games, so it really helped the development of uh, some of the younger guys. I think it's a solid move by the Devils. So let's keep moving forward here, and I want to head over the Hudson River and go to uh, the New York Rangers. Um, and for for Mike Zabo, he's extremely happy because Igor Shosturkin, uh, he signed a contract extension. He was an RFA uh, and signed a four-year deal uh, worth $5.66 million uh, average annual value, which, by the way, is the second largest contract for a goalie in NHL history. Second largest, second contract yeah. in uh, in NHL history. So, I'm sorry, is it the, lar- I think it's the, lar- I'm sorry, it's the largest. Let me largest, order. second, large, co- second contract. Largest, second contract ever given out to a goaltender in NHL history. Yeah. Mike Zabo, I want to know your thoughts about Shesterkin. Is this a is this a high price tag and will this team now possibly be in cap hell uh in in the next few years? Uh, yes, potentially. I have heard a lot of uh disdain for this move in terms of the money being given because uh Shesterkin has a lot of potential and I think he can be one of a top 10, top five goalie in, in this league is that that's his ceiling. But a lot of people don't like this move at at the moment because he's only played 47 games and especially too in a shortened, you know, he's had to deal with the shortened pandemic season as well. So there are a lot of factors with that. People think he got a little bit much. Uh, I think the Rangers are going to be in a bit of cap hell. I think the, the, uh, the Truba move certainly hurts their cap. Um, and how much he's, uh, how much money he's making. Uh, they have to make some decisions with um, the forward line and Zibanejad and, and whatnot. So uh, they could be in that situation they were in a couple of years ago when they were starting to tear it down and, and you know on this path that they've been on the last couple of years. But uh, this needed to get done, you know, plain and simple. But I think it could lead to. Uh, bigger ramifications later. But the big thing is they got their goalie of the future. There's some concerns, but I think ultimately he's going to live up to that potential. Like I said, they they have to get that the deal done. I think they're they're just going to have to move certain other pieces around to try and bring their cap down and you know maneuver the cap or whatnot. But certainly they couldn't play around with this deal. 
And there's no doubt about, and, and you know what, this is, and, and I've been called out on this plenty of times. And I remember on our inaugural show, on our first ever show, when we had in my, in, in, in our studio down here, uh, we had Tyler Adele, we had Nick Partain here, and I'll never forget, I remember saying it, I wish I could have the, I wish I could pull up the video if we had only a, a crew of producers, but uh, one of these days when Artemi Panarin signed that massive deal and, uh, and, and spurned the New York Islanders uh, turned down nearly 13 million and took a much lesser deal to play in Manhattan and is now making 11.642857. And he made that for seven years. Uh, Again, you look at that deal, and obviously you get to see one of the best players in the National Hockey League in Manhattan, right? But the fact of the matter is here is that, yes, that $11 million could be a big shining light, exactly what Zavo said about the $8 million uh, eyesore with Jacob Trouba right now not looking great. But this is the part where we might also see Adam Fox, too. He's going to get his payday as well. And now we are beginning to see what the defensive market is going to look like. We're seeing what Darnell Nurse made, $9.5 million, and Adam Fox just won the Norris. Maybe that could propel him up to $10 million. Could we see something like how we see in San Jose with a plethora of these over, I think it's like what, what between Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Mark Edward Vlasic, I think it's like $25 million on the blue line. Look where they are now. I don't think that's going to be like that with the Rangers, but... We are beginning to see something where things could be. You might have to play some, you know, some chess here and really move some pieces around. Um, Deluca, I want to go to you with Shesterkin. You're, uh, you're, you're not really a, de you're, you're a Devils fan, obviously, so you're not really too happy about this move. But is this even a good move for the Rangers? It is. Let's not let's not dilly dally here. The the Rangers got know that this is their future right here, and that they're locking them down is what they did. And I I won't be surprised in, in three years he gets an extension that way he doesn't even see the uh, market again. Even though I believe he'll still be restricted, but yeah. nonetheless, I I believe that this is. I thought the money was fair, honestly. The the Rangers know what. Igor Shosturkin can be, and that's what they're paying him to be. So they're just doing it now. Now, this could lead to a bigger payday down the road if he does live up to it. But you know what? That's what happens. That's what you ha you have to. That's just something you got to live with. You're hope you're hoping you have to almost pay. You're almost hoping you have to pay this guy more because that means he's playing well. It means he's earned such money. And uh, while I can't attest to the fact that he's earned five point six five million AAV over four years. I expect he will get there, and I expect him to get there quickly. So I think that this is a fine move for the Rangers. As ter in terms of their uh, cap situation, yeah, they're in big trouble. There's not even a question about that because Adam Fox is owed a lot of money. Mika Zibanejad will be owed a lot of money if he's still a New York Ranger. That's up in the air. Which is and wild. Which it's no wild. No one ever Ryan, Ryan Strom likely going to have to be the odd man out with his contract coming off the books. I almost, I almost personally just, this is no insider information. This is just a guess that he'll get moved for, to relieve some cap Alexander Georgiev backup goaltender wants a starter job requested to trade out. I expect that'll happen at some point. So that, so the Rangers are still a little strapped, but it'll, it, it won't be as bad as it's being made out to be. But for now there's a little, a little, a little cap issue, but everything will solve itself out 
until Jack Eichel shows up here in in Manhattan. I'm not I'm not even concerned at this point because if he wasn't going to the New York Rangers, he'd already have, he'd already be out of Buffalo by now. So uh, that makes me think that the suitors out west are no longer interested. And again, all this is purely my own speculation. I think I think it's almost a not a done deal, but it's almost a certainty. We will see Jack Eichel in Rangers colors sometime soon. And it's just gonna it, it, it that'll make for an interesting cap situation because of how much money he makes. So it, it's a lot of question marks right now. Guys, we're, we we continuously talk about the cap here on this on this show, and I want to move over and down the turnpike and go to the most hated team that Deluca uh, hates in the Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, and and I think we got to see what Carter Hart. Uh, his extension was all about. Uh, he signed a three-year deal on a restricted free agent deal. Uh, he is making now three, excuse me, three point nine seven nine million AAV uh, for the next three years. He is he had a, a really bad year last year, but um, is this a deal, guys, for uh, for head coach Elaine Vigneault that possibly could be? Um, you know, and, and not only that, but also general manager, general manager, Chuck Fletcher, that they could, um, possibly, you know, look back on and say, we really wish that this contract was never signed or done. Probably. I think this is a real, this, this was a real head scratcher. I mean, Carter Hart was the, one of, if not the worst goaltender in the NHL last year, he was a, a one of the worst seasons I've ever seen. And for a guy I mean, look, he's a young kid. He's only 20, he's only 24 years old. But for someone of that age, and to have all this hype around you and to play like that, you should consider yourself fortunate you got that kind of money. Granted, it's only a three-year deal, but the fact that he almost got $4 million a year off of it is crazy to me. I cannot believe the Flyers were willing to pay him this money. Look, I get it. He's your, your goalie of the future but you did not have to overpay this man yet. It was not that time. He was not like Igor Shesterkin. He's not what Mackenzie Blackwood will likely get from New Jersey in two years' time. But to so to give this to him now, I mean, I look, I get you had to sign him, but you did not have to overpay him. It's a real confusing contract to me. I'm, I'm surprised, but I, I look, I expected him to get paid, but I really thought the Flyers were, were not going to jump right to it and be like, look, we're going to have faith in you. We know you struggled last year, but we're still going to pay you anyway. That's where I get confused, especially when you're in hockey, this hard salary cap, and it uh, just a head-scratcher, really. But There's see, that's the thing, though, is that I think that this is decent, and I'll tell you why, because of a revamped blue line, and not only that, too, but also you've got a, a man in Martin Jones, again, who is really trying to revive his career as well. And that is to say the least. And you want to talk about how Carter Hart has had a bad year. You have to look at Martin Jones out oh, west. Oh, jo Joey, if if Carter Hart doesn't bounce back, that could be looked on as the worst tandem in the NHL. Well, that could be, yes. But the whole thing, though, is that we're talking about 2020 stats. And really right now what I want to look at is, is that how Martin Jones did make uh, did make it to the uh, – to the Stanley Cup final back in 2015-16. We also have to realize that he also has led the San Jose Sharks with a really bad uh, forward group um, and, and, and a lackadaisical blue line at the time uh, against the... Uh, that was actually when the San Jose Sharks made uh, the Western Conference final run against the St. Louis Blues. That was the year the Blues won the Stanley Cup. 
they were trying to go. Um, the, uh, they were trying to go. I think it was their second trip in three years. That was the year that they traded for Eric Carlson, and Martin Jones played a big hand in that. Think about the experience that Martin Jones brings here, and if he can find his groove, you might be able to put Carter Hart on the stove that could possibly really light up the fire that could really be steaming under his uh, under his chair. Because if you need somebody to really get this man warmed up and really allow him that potential or get him to play to his potential, I think Martin Jones is the perfect man if he can play up to what he was back in San Jose in the beginning uh, of his tenure there. Mike Zabo, let's move over to you. What do you think about this Carter Hart signing? Well, DeLuca said a key word, faith, and I think that's what Philadelphia has put in Carter Hart. He put up some great numbers the year before, as you guys mentioned. Absolutely. He yes. was one of the worst goalies ever last year, but the year before that, he put up some historically great numbers. So this contract is all about if Carter Hart can return to those numbers that you saw two two years ago. So Philly is saying, we're going to put faith in this guy, and because he did so bad last year, we get to buy low. Rather than yeah. you know having to pay him the money that the Rangers are paying Igor Shosturkin and whatnot, and we can potentially get a, a goalie who can rise rise to the sort of potential that the Rangers want Igor Shosturkin to, um, with a, a much cheaper contract. So it's a very high risk, but a very high reward. Absolutely, move. I'm I'm with Mike 100 percent here, and it's it, and if it doesn't work out, it's just another domino in the clear jinx that the Philadelphia Flyers have on trying to find a goaltender because I've never seen a team go through goaltenders like them in the past, in the past decade. It it is unbelievable. I mean, the last, the last, the last goalkeeper, the the last goalie that I could think of aside from, aside from Bernie Perrant, um, you know, I can't even think of one. Say it again. Sergey Bobrovsky. Well, yeah, yeah. Sergey Bobrovsky, and, and, and they, they traded him. Yeah, and yeah. they they went with Brisgalov over him. Yeah, yeah, and that 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 is where the curse started. They 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 had someone in Sergey Bobrovsky went to Ilya, thought they had something better in Ilya Brisgalov, burned him, and yeah. here we are ever since. Yeah, completely burned him, and they're still paying him uh, on this uh, on this massive buyout deal, which that's <laughs> still fun. That's, That's still fun. It's still it's still a disaster. They're actually paying him uh 1.642857 all the way until 2627. That's just a a quick little stat there. Uh, oh. Ilya Brizgalov. It's uh it's similar to like Mets fans with Bobby Bonilla Day. It's a lot of these uh, a lot it's of like Ilya Brizgalov like, Day. Right. We we got Brizgalov. You got Rick DiPietro for the Islanders. Oh, uh, you a got a whole bunch a whole bunch of uh, good I, stuff I, I, there. I like how you named Rick DiPietro, Joey. I feel like that's a good I mean, segue hey. to the next guy. That is that is definitely true, but because of uh, because of time restrictions, we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna stay on uh, Adam Pellick for a quick moment. We will not be covering Darnell Nurse's massive contract. We want to get to that. But yeah, we'll wait, jo- Joey, I got, I got it, I got it. Real brief. It's bad. All right, <laughs> all right. On to Pellick. Adam Pellick signed a massive eight-year deal worth five point seven five million AAV. Uh, with the Islanders uh, this past Friday. Now, that was the first signing that Lou Lamarillo has allowed, has kind of opened the door to uh, to allow the media in for about a quick five seconds. And I want to go to Rob DeLuca here first because he knows all about his former general manager and president of hockey operations in Lou Lamarillo. And this is, DeLuca, a, 
a Lou Lamarillo move that you have seen from a mile away. And DeLuca's, uh, DeLuca was unable to fix that Wi-Fi, I see. So I want to move over to Mike Zabo just because we are running low on time. Uh, what do you think about uh, about this deal? $5.75 million, especially after seeing Darnell Nurse. I'm just going to keep talking to the microphone until it comes back. Hey, it came back. How about that? Hey, you're All back. Right. Hey, you're back. Uh, yeah, Joe. Yeah, so let's see if I can actually get, th get through one session without a cutout uh look this is classic lou lamorell this is how he operates it's his way or there's the door right there like you either you either get you either get on board with what lou's doing or you leave and honestly it's it's the way he runs things and guess what he's got three stanley cups to show for it so clearly it works so i mean look i would love to see all the signings that we all know are coming for the new york islanders to just be released already but this I am in shock that it did not even cost the New York Islanders $6 million, let alone almost $7 million, to keep Adam Pellick around. Adam Pellick is one of the most underrated defensemen in the National Hockey League, and I have zero issue saying that, alongside his very similarly underrated defense partner Ryan Pulak. This is one of the most underrated defensive pairs in all of hockey because you got Pulak who is more of the offensive guy of the two and but he's also just he's also very good defensively. And then there's Pelic who is 100% defense and pass first and it really revitalizes that blue line with which what it whichever forward core is out there with them on the ice. Those two make those three forwards better every single shift and i cannot believe it cost lou lamarillo and the new york islanders so little to keep pelic around to me that says adam pelic sees something here in the new york islanders future and he wants to be a part of it well, and i think it's a wonderful thing you also brought up you also brought up about darnell nurse's contract being bad how about uh miro heiskanen how about seth jones zach warensky the the See, the, the, the contracts, it just, yeah. it, you know, you can... Uh, Heiskanen's was good. The rest you named were bad. Heiskanen's, in my opinion, was was Well, decent. and I think the reason why, and also the reason why, too, with the, with the other signings as well, has to do with their offensive ability. Adam yeah. Pellick is defense first, and, uh, that's yes. the part, and that's the part where Lou Lamarillo was able to really get him down to that price. Listen, he, he did file he's for still worth more. He's still worth far more money than he's now getting, but... But that that's the way Lou does but it. His offensive numbers too. His offensive numbers are not there. That's why he was not making nine and a half million. Well, sure, no, but I expected him to be at least close to seven because yeah, well. he's he's that good at defense. He's that good of a player. But that's what Lou Lamarillo does. He'll revitalize you. He'll make you be really believe that success is coming to this team, and that's how he gets him to sign long term. And for not as much money as you'd think they'd make on a shorter contract. That's what Lula Lemmer likes to do. He likes to do term as opposed to more. He likes to do more term as opposed to more money. He really believes in the players that he brings in. He's not a big fan of a lot of change. That's why when it was time to rebuild in New Jersey, he was trying to add all these ancient ancient players, trying to keep the, the glory days alive, and it just wasn't working. He wants long-term success, and he believes in the players he brings in. And that is why for the new, he is perfect for the New York Islanders right now, because they do 
while the window is shrinking, it's still there. It's not closed yet. It's it, There's still a good shot for the New York Islanders to really dig deep. And with the Tampa... And with, we expect him to say the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, again, because we are running short on time here, I want to go to Mike Zabo. Keep talking if DeLuca comes back. Yeah, so I think it, what, to what Rob's point, I think it's all about Losing building a culture get- with yeah, I think it's all about a culture that Lou Lamarillo is building. And you see it a lot of times with teams that are going into deep playoff runs or Stanley Cup teams or whatnot. You have guys that are willing to take less in order to, to you know, keep the project going, to keep certain guys together. And this is a per- this uh, move is a perfect example of that, of a guy taking less money to be able to keep everybody together because you, you see the the uh the potential this team has going down the road and the culture that is being built here so i think that's the reason why they were able to get them at such a cheap price yeah, yeah between right. between that between that and i will say obvious coach of the year that gets snubbed every year barry trotz is no doubt well he did win two years ago yeah well sure but he he really is the best coach in this league he is the – I personally don't th- – look, I think the Islanders are a good team. They would not be back-to-back Eastern Conference final appearances without him, though, if you ask me. Not a chance. There's it's ju- it, the, There's no other system that would work like Barry Trotz's for this Islanders team. It's a really interesting Islanders team because it's been built – kind of built by Lou, almost more of Lou Lamorello than Garth Snow now as opposed to it was two, two years ago when the – playoff success started so it's it's re- it's now a couple more Lou players than Gar Snow players and Joey is is I don't know where he wants me to wa- wants to go with this but he he I think he knows I'm right deep down is that uh no no I I, I don't and 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 this is and this is the last point this is the last point that I want to make just because uh we we don't have much time here uh, I want to name all the Garth Snow players, and then I want to name the uh, the the guys that 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 uh, that that Lou Lamarillo brought in. Uh, the guys that uh, Garth Snow had on his roster when he was general manager: Anders Lee, Matthew Barzell, Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, Cal Clutterbuck, Matt Martin, uh, Ross Johnston, uh, Anthony Beauvillier. Moving down to the defensive pair. Uh, Johnny Boychuk does not count uh, because of uh, his long-term He, he really put in Ross Johnston and left out Casey Zizekas, thinking uh, Ross Johnston okay, actually well, matters. Well, Casey Zizekas is not, is not 100% on this roster just yet, so calm down over there, big fella. Uh, Adam Pellick, Ryan Pulak, Scott Mayfield, uh, Sebastian Ajo, I'm going to include him in there as well, Thomas Hickey, Ilya Sorokin. Okay, now we've got the guys now that were, that, that, were, that came in uh, off the likes of Lou Lamarillo, John Gabriel Pajot, Leo Komarov. I guess we can kind of put Matt Martin in there because he was reacquired uh, by by Lou, but I'm going to keep that one out of there. Richard Ponick, uh, Oliver Wallstrom, uh, Noah Dobson, Andy Green, Semyon Varlamov. Uh, it's still about, I'd say, about 70 30 Garth Snow's roster. Well, sure, but then, but you're going to add Kyle Palmieri. You're going to add Travis Ajak. These are, these are signings that just haven't been That's announced fair. yet that we know are That's coming. Definitely fair, but, but, the but, core but it's group, but the core group but Lou, is Garth Snow's guys. No, 100%. But Lou's footprint is now definitely in there, is my yeah. point. It's, it's, it's in there and it's, it's prominent because. Let's not forget, Lou Lamorell also got Barry Trotz. Get, Garth Snow did not get Barry Trotz, and that's 
That's that was honestly the biggest thing. I I firmly believe the Islanders would not be as good as they are without him, just because of the system Barry Trotz runs and the roster that has now been made to the New York Islanders. I do not see another coach that could that would duplicate the performances that the team has had in 2019 and 2020, where they it would be the same without Barry Trotz. Definitely something that we will uh, be looking forward to in the coming weeks when um, when hockey begins to ramp up, uh, starting in the next, I think, few weeks. Training camps are going to be, you know, opening, reopening. Uh, and the reason why I say reopening, reopening at the end of August, the beginning of September, we're going to start seeing some preseason games. Things are going to start coming back to normal. This was the season that things were going to be, or the, the way that – uh, the NHL really looked at uh, getting things back to normal post-pandemic. Yep. So a really good sign to see things moving forward uh, and starting right around uh, October 13th yet again. Uh, it's it's really great to see um, post-pandemic life is beginning to uh, it's beautiful like thing. pre-pandemic life. Uh, guys, I want to get to a couple of sports updates here. I want to leave Lionel Messi till after because that one is a good one that we're going to be discussing about. Uh, Winnipeg Jets center Pierre-Luc, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois changes his number from 13 to 80 uh, in honor of his former teammate uh, Metis Kivlinix, who, uh, who died tragically in a fireworks accident back on July 4th. Uh, of course, for all of the NFL fans, uh, director uh, or v- vice president of officiating, Al Riveron, uh, he will be retiring. And I am sure, I am sure a lot of the NFL fans are extremely happy to get him out. Uh, also, uh, the Vancouver Canucks have re-signed defender uh, or defenseman, rather, Ole Levy to a one-year deal worth, worth 750000 uh, That's some definitely some good stuff there. Uh, DeLuca, thank you very much for doing God's work here and erasing things as I'm talking. This is awesome. Uh, John Tortorella joins ESPN as an NHL studio analyst. Good that's Lord epic. help. Uh, that's that- epic. There's nothing that there's nothing that beats that one, Joey. I, I don't know if you can name a better sports update than that. I, can, I listen. All I know is is that I mean, could it be? Uh, it's going to be Barry Melrose and uh, and John Tortorella for looking. That's uh, awesome. You know, just fantastic on on this ESPN broadcast. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. It's speaking, a great time. Speaking of broadcasters, RG3 joins ESPN as a broadcaster, but he is open to an NFL return. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, a really sad, tragic news uh, for the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, former head coach and longtime Hall of Fame head coach, Bobby Bowden, uh, he died at the age of 91. Uh, and he died in, uh, he died natural causes. Uh, he was in hospice for a little bit, uh, but Bobby Bowden died, uh, at the age of 91, second all time, uh, in division one wins in college football guys, really a sad moment for the Seminoles, uh, a really sad moment in, uh, in college football history, uh, and also a really sad time in our world as well. Uh, 91 years old, Bobby Bowden lived a very, very long life. Um, he will definitely be missed for sure. Guys, I want to start off in the NBA. We don't really uh, cover that that much here on this show because of so many other topics. But here on tonight's show, we have to really announce a few things uh, and really discuss it uh, rather quickly. But Luka Doncic, uh, he signed a maximum rookie Supermax deal, five years, $207 million. That is something phenomenal. We got to see him play uh, in the Olympics with Slovenia. 
Uh, unfortunately, they were unable to get the bronze medal. Uh, things were not looking too great for them, uh, you know, down the stretch in the Olympics. But for Luka Doncic, Mark Cuban really giving out these uh, these massive contracts. We know in the NBA, it's always supermax this, supermax, uh, supermax that. Mike Zabo, uh, I the reason actually why I saw this deal come come about is because of your co-tweet that said, or your quote tweet that said, show me the money. And that's exactly what Luka Doncic told Mark Cuban, who's also a shark uh, on Shark Tank. Uh, but, you know, I mean, listen, he asked Mark Cuban, show me the money, and Mark Cuban paid up. There's no doubt about it. What do you think of, of this deal? Well, it's a great deal. Dallas had to do this. There was concern earlier in the offseason of Doncic potentially not wanting to re-sign, and that threw up major red flags in Dallas because for – Whatever reason, they have such a tough time being able to attract um, great free agents uh, to, to join up with their stars, whether it was Dirk Nowitzki back in the day or it's now in trying to build around Luka Doncic. And if Doncic was going to be talking about wanting out, oh, the, then there really would have been bad times ahead in Dallas. But yeah. they, they really needed to get this done. It's a lot of money, but definitely needed to get it done for a guy who's going to be a top five player in the league for probably the next decade. And you also have, you also have a brand new coaching staff coming in. Rick Carlisle was the one who led this Dallas Mavericks team to their 20 to the 2011 uh, NBA championship into Larry Brown trophy. Um, But, you know, you have to realize something too, guys is, is that, to see what Luka Doncic has done throughout his rookie season, throughout his really his 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 first few seasons as a baby Maverick, and I want to call it that because really that's really what he was. Um, he didn't play in this country. He played he played overseas, and he came here uh, via the draft. Really amazing stuff to see what he was able to do, uh, in, in, you know, early on. But again, I want to talk about how um, a brand new coaching staff is here. The 2011 champion, Jason Kidd, is now leading the squad. And Rob DeLuca knows all about Jason Kidd because he still is a New Jersey Nets fan. But they've been gone for a while, DeLuca. Why are you the New Jersey Nets? What's the matter with you? Because Jason Kidd is a god amongst men. That's why. Okay? (laughs) But... Because Jason Kidd's the great, the greatest point guard of all time. I don't even care. Obviously, (laughs) obviously that's not true, but I don't even care. Fans will agree. Yeah, that all Nets fans will agree. You're absolutely right, Mike. Obviously, that's not true. Don't care. For Doncic, <laughs> well deserved. For Doncic, well deserved contract. Everyone knew. Everyone knew the supermax was coming. Earns every earned every penny of it. He's one of the best players in the league already, and it's going to be a lot of fun watching him. Da- watching him for the, for the next decade plus. But we speak about also Kemba Wa- or not? Well, not. Uh, I want to get to the Knicks in just a moment, but Kevin Durant. Signed a four-year extension, DeLuca, with your New Jersey Nets. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. The Brooklyn Nets. Color uh, me shocked that this actually happened. Okay? I am thrown that these guys actually, that at least one of them want to stay here if when the, when this all blows up next year and they don't win the finals again. <laughs> so, I am thrown. I am, I am very thrilled. I'm ecstatic that Kevin Durant wants to stay. It's great to have the best player in the NBA want to play for you when he's healthy. So nonetheless, but nonetheless, Nets got to get the job done. It's that simple. That's what they're built for. They're built for right now. Do it right now. Mike, what do you think about, uh, about DeLuca's New Jersey Nets? Where are they headed? I think that it's championship or bus next year. And I think if it wasn't for the fact that 
Kyrie Irving and James Harden weren't fully healthy, if they if those two were fully healthy, they would have steamrolled to the finals. And if it wasn't for KD's big shoe, they would have taken out the NBA eventual NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks. So watching that live, had to bring up, the, had to bring up the shoe. He really did. Had to say the shoe. Next time, get size ten instead of size eleven. <laughs> Guys, I want to move over it back into uh, to Madison Square Garden and Brian Morales. Wait, JJ, you said it and teased it well. Kemba, yes, absolutely. But also, before we get to Kemba, uh, Brian said, "Ooh, brother, Jason Kidd, best best Knicks point Watch guard yourself, in the last Morales. Twenty years. <laughs> I mean, I mean, granted, he's right though. Was the best Knicks point guard in the last fifteen to twenty years? Not even a question. Well, and he was, he was, and he was, he was, fi- he was like fifty <laughs> by the time he got to he got to. Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker was bought out by the Oklahoma City Thunder. He signs with the hometown Knicks. You've got Cardiac Kemba returning to the world's most famous arena. We got to see him, obviously, 2011. I can't believe you didn't get the clip for this. That is true. I should have. I should have. Big East Tournament time, 2011. Uh, Yeah, all good things there. Zabo, you got to see uh, what, what this Knicks team has done under Tom Thibodeau. Uh, and now seeing Cardiac Kemba make his hometown debut uh, this upcoming campaign. What does this do for Knicks fans? And not only that, ticket prices too. Well, yeah, the ticket prices are going to soar. MSG is certainly going to be a must must watch or a must uh, place for people to get into and buy tickets. And, you know, it's going to be a huge demand for it ahead of big what they hope is going to be big expectations for the next season. It's great to see a, a New York City born kid coming home, playing for the hometown team. Of course, everybody remembers the legendary days at Rice High School and the num- the insane numbers that he put up there yeah. and the, the great games that they had in, uh, unfortunately, that defunct school. Um, but yeah, I, it's a great move for the Knicks, who we talked, uh, we've mentioned about Jason Kidd being the greatest point guard they've had in the last <laughs> 20 years. That just says it all. They've had their point guard, their struggle trying to find a point guard, and now they have a great one in Kemba Walker. When he's healthy, he's one of the better point guards in the league. And you know, pairing him with Derrick Rose, who's found a little bit of rejuvenation at the back end of his career, you know, the Knicks actually have some some nice point guards in, in their lineup. Yeah, it's really something else, and something here too with Brian Morales for eight million. Say it with me. S-T-E-A-L, steal. Uh, well, you know, and then I want to go back to a couple here. Mark Jackson, Kemba, Starberry. Oh, boy. Uh, and then you've got uh, best New York point guard in Knicks history. Ah, there you go. We'll see what happens there. But uh, there's also some rumors, guys, here about Kemba Walker, too, uh, that apparently he might have given up $20 million in that contract buyout with the Thunder to go home. That's something else. He gave up $20 million. Clearly, you don't care about the money at that point, guys. There's yeah. no doubt about it. You're confident in what the what Thibodeau's yeah. building. That's all oh, it says. Yeah. yeah, there's no or, doubt. Yeah, but that that or playing at home, playing home means that much to you. Well, I mean, again, cardiac Kemba going back to the site of the 2011 Big East tournament, uh, you know, championship. All good things there with what he did with UConn, but. It is now time to welcome our good friend Evan Winter. Evan, good to see you, sir. And I know Ian is I know Ian is definitely missing you here tonight, but that's okay. He can be on vacation. No, Evan, no. thank you so much for coming on here, buddy. Gentlemen, what's up? Thanks for having me back on. It's a pleasure to be here and I hope everyone's doing well. 
Uh, everyone's doing okay over here. I mean, I, I could speak for, for myself here, but I know DeLuca and Mike are. But Evan, grateful to have you here with us. I hope you're able to get your boy to uh, to sleep tonight. And uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm assuming you didn't since you're here with us. <laughs> Actually, no, he's up and running around like crazy right now, but it's okay. My, my wife's a tough woman, obviously. So um, she, she's got him handled. He's under control. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. All right. Well, thank already you for- rebelling. He's already he's already out there. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mrs. Winter. That's some good stuff there. So Mike Zabo, Evan Winter, uh, really happy to have you on here. Ladies and gentlemen, Evan Winter, lead writer of the Bucks Report for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Guys, let's get things moving forward here on our NFC South preview. Guys, I want to start off with obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they are the defending Super Bowl champs. And Evan, you were down at um you were down at um uh training camp down in tampa and uh talk about what you got to see down there i mean we we keep seeing the reports how uh ab is really turning back into maybe 2018 ab the tom brady antonio brown uh tandem might just be looking really good no ab's looked great and he looked really good in the practices that i watched him while he was down there he didn't he was uh late to the first two practices for whatever reason uh bruce arians never really clarified that but outside of that he was awesome there was even one really cool moment where him and tom had a miscommunication on uh one-on-one receiver cornerback drills and AB was so fired up. I mean, this is how competitive the dude is. He was literally walking back on the fourth on the sideline, screaming stuff like, I don't waste reps. Like, just all – I mean, he was fired up, man. It was it was cool to see. Um, but apparently since I left, and, you know, it, it's probably because I left, he's been on fire. Um, a lot of people are backing <laughs> up the talk that he – could very well lead the team in targets, could be the Bucks' number one receiver. And when you look at what he did last year, he actually led the team in targets, just barely, but he led the team over those final eight games, um, including the playoffs. It wouldn't be a shock. But, man, right now, uh, Chris Godwin, first off, you know, breaking news, he's a great receiver, awesome. It's how the dude runs his routes and what he's able to do in terms of body control and just obviously catching the ball as well. It's just simply off the charts. But Mike Evans right now, um, and since I've left, I've read the same thing. I'm not trying to base everything in the first week that I was down there, but he is in midseason form. The dude is snagging balls out of the air, beating people deep. I mean, he's making Carlton Davis, uh, who is genuinely a, a solid corner in this in this league. Um, he's making him look silly. So it's been a lot of fun. But at the same time, the offense has been pretty inconsistent. And Tom Brady, while I was down there. He did not look like the Tom Brady we saw over the last eight weeks of last year. Um, And obviously today, I don't know if y'all saw, but Bruce Arians called today's offensive practice the worst he's seen in three years. So he obviously wasn't talking about 2018 because he was retired then. So I'm thinking three seasons, you know, and guess what? That puts us in 2019. And guess who the quarterback was in 2019? So I'm, I'm, no, that's just me like taking a stab. But, <laughs> but, uh, but no, seriously though, I mean, and you could also credit that to the defense. So the defenses look great. Um, but yeah, man. So it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see how these next few weeks play out for sure. That's really crazy. And and you know, the, we got to see also something. Uh, and I want to just throw this over to uh, to Madden. And and why I say that is because 
I, I'm assuming, Evan, you got to see some of the rankings, too, with linebackers and whatnot. And Devin White was not in the top 10. And I remember when you know when, when you were on here multiple times in the past, we got to talk about how Devin White is really just the underrated guy. And he shows up in the Super Bowl. And Levante David is just, you know, the, the guy that continues to just be the underrated linebacker of this squad. And now Devin White is really beginning to, you know, to to make his name known. And, you know, on, on, on Madden, he, he's not in the top 10. And I know we've, again, we, we've spoken about this over and over again, but how mind-boggling is that when you got to see that? It's pretty surprising. And considering especially what he did in the playoffs, you know, Madden is always known for recency bias. And yeah. the playoff run that he had, I mean, I can't remember the exact records off the top of my head that he set, but it was just insane stuff. And he was always around the ball. He made plays. Even when he wasn't the catalyst of the play being made, he still contributed in a major way. I mean, case in point was Antoine Winfield's strip of Jared yeah. Cook in the divisional round. Well, guess who picked up the fumble? Devin White. Uh, I believe whenever Jordan Whitehead uh, forced the fumble on the Packers, my memory might be a little fuzzy, but – Devin White, I believe, was there to pick up the fumble. Either way, he had a fumble recovery in that game, if that's not the exact moment. So the, the dude just went on a crazy run. He's showing just amazing strides in terms of his pass coverage. And then all of a sudden, yeah, Madden leaves him out to dry like that. But you know what? At the end of the day, all it's going to do is motivate him. Oh, He's yeah. already motivated enough. So this is just going to put the icing on the cake. And so far in camp, you want to talk about looking good. He was one of my top five bucks through the first uh, nine or ten practices. He looked great. He even had an awesome pick off of Tom Brady. Granted, it was Brady's fault, and that kind of leads back to what I was saying about him looking inconsistent throughout camp so far. Um, but still, at the end of the day, Devin White still made the play. That's all that matters. So, yeah, man, I mean, Madden's going to Madden at the end of the day. But like I said, as long as it's fueling the fires of this team, hey, I'm, I'm all here for it. Before we get to Deluca and to Zabo about um, about the the rest of the Buccaneers, um, Evan, you got to see. You were talking about Carlton Davis and how you know you kind of hesitated there when you said you know average uh, average cornerback, and you know towards towards the latter part of the season, we kind of got to see him really find his groove. And you know, you were saying that he was getting torched by Antonio Brown this. Uh, you know, this this training camp so far, or wherever we are now, we're just a few days away before the first preseason game. Um, you know, do you see him returning to, you know, weeks one through five, uh, Carlton Davis, where, you know, he was just getting torched left and right by by wide receivers? No, he's he's a solid corner in this league. He's easily top 12. Um, and wow. yeah, and I mean, and when I talk about him getting beat in camp, he's also won plenty of ramp reps himself. Uh, yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you want an ebb and flow when it comes to training camp. You don't want one side of the ball dominating the other yeah. side. So it's been off and on. But at the same time, he's also going against guys like Mike Evans and Antonio Brown. Now, granted, to Jalen Darden's credit, uh, the fourth round pick out of uh, North Texas this year, he's burnt Carlton a few times. But at the end of the day, if there's one thing that hinders Carlton, and I think he would even agree with this, is he doesn't have top-end speed. I mean, yeah. we saw it with Tyree Kill, all that other stuff last year. I mean, everybody remembers that. The Bucks sure as hell did. Um, yeah. So, I mean, when it, he's got his deficiencies at the end of the day. But, no, overall, he's solid, man. And I think, I mean, going into a contract year, 
Uh, last year was the best year of his career, and he's shown growth each year, especially with interceptions. Um, him not making interceptions was one of the knocks coming out of college, uh, whatever that means at the end of the day. I mean, it's kind of like fumble recoveries. There's a certain amount of luck that goes into it at the, at the end of the day. But um, either way, he, he's looked solid so far in camp. And like I said, when you're going against guys like that, you know, you're going to get bested from time to time. It's all about how you respond, and he's responded well. Yeah, there's no doubt. And also, ladies and gentlemen, for those that are watching, all Buccaneers fans, all, all NFC South fans, please send your questions uh, into our chat, uh, wherever you might be watching, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, uh, on Zingo Television. Please uh, give us or give Evan some questions here. But we're going to turn it over to uh, DeLuca and to Mike Zabo. Guys, take it away for Evan here. Yeah, Evan. That, thanks again for coming on. Always good to see you. I mean, let's let's just jump right into it here. You know, NFC South is uh, looking a little different this year. For the first time in 15, 20 years, Drew Brees is no longer the quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. So obviously, that's that's raising some question marks down there in New Orleans. Where and for but for the Buccaneers. With a change like that, and it really only being a race between the Buccaneers and the Saints for for the past two years, what 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 do the Buccaneers have to do to remain on top once again with all of these changes coming to the NFC South? Quarterback change in Carolina, no less, and Atlanta only getting older. What what do the Bucks have to do as not only division champs but Super Bowl champs to maintain that dominance that they have put on the NFC South now? I think they've got to keep the offense diversified like they did over the last eight weeks of the season. Um, they've got to continue to protect Brady. If that offensive line uh, sticks sticks up like it did in the playoffs and performs like it did, I mean, they were literally moving bodies in the playoffs, then, I mean, that's going to be the ultimate key to the offensive success at the end of the day, in my opinion. But, man, really, I mean, assuming everything – picks up where they left off. Now, granted, you know, there'll probably be some rust in the beginning. I mean, that's how it always goes. But assuming everybody has their heads on straight, their focus, you know, their mentality um, and how they execute, especially with not committing penalties. But really, if the Bucks can pick up, pick up where they left off in those regards, all they have to do is stay healthy. <laughs> I mean, now, granted, this is the NFL, and that's extremely hard to do. But they've also been – uh, a top two team in terms of adjusted games lost when it comes to injuries. It's a stat that football outsiders uses. Um, they actually led the league last year in the NFL. So granted, again, it's the NFL. If you have two years of insanely good injury luck like that, you're kind of just waiting for the levies to break, but they have a great sports science team over there. They have a great uh, training staff. So, you know, you think the ball and the odds are both in Tampa Bay's court when it comes to doing that. But back to your point about the Saints, man, it, it's going to be so weird seeing either Jameis Winston or Tamis, Tay, uh, Taysom Hill out there as the starting quarterback. And it's going to be even weirder not seeing Joe Lombardi on the sidelines because he has been there since 2007. So all of a sudden, and I wrote about this a little bit today on BucksReport.com, is that you've got 66% of the Saints, you know, masterminds behind the offense just all of a sudden gone. Now, granted, Sean Payton's still there. I think he's one of the top three head coaches in the league, possibly even top two. But – at the same time, you know, how much can he get done at the end of the day in terms of what these two quarterbacks can do? Because they're both great athletes, obviously. They both have an insanely insane amounts of talent. 
However, they're both limited in certain regards. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, and plus all the injuries and all that stuff. But, man, really, Rob, at the end of the day, I mean, like I said, as long as everything goes uh, goes as well as it should in terms of things Tampa Bay can control, then, like I said, all I got to do is stay healthy, and they they should win this division with not not with ease, but with more ease than let's say in two thousand and seven, the last time they won it. Yeah, yeah, Evan. Just to pay, what 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 is it going to take with the schedule that the Buccaneers have been given this year? Because obviously, if they come out to the start that they did last year, it's very it, it very light. While the NFC South, the rest of them is a little weaker. I don't see that. If, if they, if they, st- no. if they, if they, I don't see it happening per se. But what are they? What what needs to happen differently to avoid that cold start that they had at the beginning of the year? Like as you as you said, there will be some rust in the beginning. What can they do to potentially avoid something like that? Therefore, allowing this to be more of a race than it actually should be. So yeah, so you know they started off four and one. They lost that first game against the Saints, uh, and then they lost the just the terrible, terrible game in Chicago, which dropped them to four. Or no, sorry, they started three and one. I apologize, and then dropped to three and two in Chicago, and then blew out Green Bay. And after that, they went through the slump against the Rams, uh, the Vikings, and then I can't think of the th- oh, and then the Saints again. That's right. The th- I tend to burn that game out of my memory, yes. but uh, we but- all did. You're right, exactly. Um, but either way, I mean, yeah, what what caused their regression at certain points in the season was just a lack of cohesiveness, a lack of continuity, uh, Brady learning a new playbook, and also uh, Arians and the coaching staff adjusting to Brady and Brady adjusting to them. Also, they lost Ali Marpet during the really bad stretch when they lost to the, to the Saints and uh, <clears throat> the Chiefs and the Rams. No, sorry, he was back for the Chiefs game. I apologize. But when they lost to the Rams, he was still out. So that really affected them. There was just kind of like a myriad of things that happened from like weeks five to week, you know, 13 that kind of affected them. And honestly, they got pretty damn lucky against the Vikings, too. If it weren't for Dan Bailey missing, you know, 10 kicks in that game, obviously I'm over exaggerating, but uh, well, I remember that vividly. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, oh I mean, if he makes if he makes those kicks, which he should have, yeah. it's not like he was out there trying to boot sixty five yarders. Um, <laughs> then you know that game's completely different. Who knows how it works out? So you know they, there is a lot that went into last season. Uh, the main thing though is they just got to stay disciplined. And so far, while I was down there throughout camp, they were pretty disciplined. Um, the reports I've read since I've been back, they've remained there for the most part. But as long as they can just, like I say, and I hate to be cliche, but control what they can control, then they'll be fine. But they've got to show that they can do that too, especially with the target on their back. I mean, y'all all know, you've watched football. Uh, I mean, once you win the Super Bowl, things change. They absolutely change. Everybody approaches you different. They're going to bring their A game. So, you know, at the end of the day, just do what they did last year and they'll be fine, as basic as that sounds. But also, real, real quick tidbit, while I was down there in camp, they, and, I, and Bruce Arians actually shut me down. I asked him about it, but, you know, I totally get it. Uh, they were out there. The Bucks were running a lot of stacked receiver formations. They would even stack like Gio Bernard, even Leonard Fournette at times uh, behind a Mike Evans. And they would have Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, and Chris Godwin on the other side in a bunch set. They were doing a ton of pre-snap motion, a lot of play action. So it looks like they're really expanding on those elements that 
worked so well toward the end of last year. When I asked Bruce about that, he said, man, that's what we've been doing the last 15 years. So, I mean, <laughs> I get it. But at the same time, and and yes, that is true. But at the same time, you go back and look at the numbers. Before the last six to eight weeks of last year, Tampa Bay was one of the uh, – lowest rates in the league when it came to using play action and pre-snap motion. So there's a little bit behind the observation there. <laughs> yeah, no Mike doubt. Zabo, take it away. Yeah, hey, Evan, great to meet you. Um, nice to meet you as well, man. With uh, Tom Brady, you mentioned about him in camp. Is there any concern about him starting off potentially slow? We always knew he had a reputation in New England, at least the first couple of weeks. They'd still right. be going through their progressions. And, you know, Tom Brady was always that prototypical guy that – you know, he starts off slower, but then, you know, at the end of the season, he always has his best stuff is there. Any concern potentially about him and how, you know, uneven he maybe looks in training camp? And with probably the Saints being their biggest challenge, what's the Tampa kind of outlook on uh, on the view of the Michael Thomas situation and what's going on with that? Potentially, you know, their best receiver, their, other than Alvin Kamara, their best offensive player, you know, involved in this huge turmoil at the front office. Yeah, so the thing with Tom Brady, I wouldn't say it's concerning right now. I mean, it's still early in camp. A lot can change, so on and so forth. But it is something I would definitely monitor. Like I'm, like I'm saying, like, and he's obviously coming off, what, I think the first time he's ever had to rehab or he said, like, the first time he's ever rehabbed in 17 years, something yeah. like that. Yep. So this just hasn't been his normal off season. I mean, granted, last year wasn't either, and we saw how he started off slow, came out of the gate slow and all that other stuff. Um, I mean, it's definitely something to monitor at this point. Like I said, he just did not look like – the Tom Brady that, you know, we've come to know, we, we saw, especially over those last eight weeks that I keep talking about. Um, but so while I wouldn't put any kind of concern on it right now, I would definitely pay attention to it and definitely read all the reports coming out, you know, to see what they have to say, especially after today with the offense having such a bad day. And it's funny because I used yesterday as a day to read up on the Bengals. And right now, up until this past Saturday, that offense has just looked like, you know, something you'd find out in your backyard uh, that your dog left for you. Uh, and Joe Burrow, apparently, he even admitted to it, is having issues, you know, anticipating rush, feeling all that stuff from his knee uh, and all that good stuff. So it's funny how those are kind of intertwining right now. But definitely pay attention to the Tom Brady thing when it comes to Michael Thomas. Uh, so I'm going to go a little bit into my fan side on here because I am a Bucks fan at the end of the day. But I try to remain objective in my analysis. Uh, dude, Tampa Bay fans are delighted right now. I and, mean, you know, you never want to wish injury on anybody. But there is a beef, a big beef right now, especially going on between Bucks fans and Saints. Bigger than usual. Um, especially after the division win last year, you know, but the Saints winning – or sorry, the division the division's uh, playoff win last year, and as opposed to the Saints winning the division, you know, they called Mike Thomas slant boy. Um, Carlton Davis even called him it last year, uh, literally tweeted it out. And they're, right now, if you're a Bucks fan, you can't be more elated than how the Saints offseason has gone, especially with Jameis and his funny – goofy stretching videos and then the one where he just gets his butt kicked by the uh, tackling dummy pads whenever he tries to run through the gauntlet. Uh, but it is going to be interesting to see how the Saints adapt. And like you said, Mike, Alvin Kamara is now their best receiver on the team. 
he's going to carry that offense. I don't see it happening any other way unless Sean Payton just pulls several several tricks out of his out of his uh, or from underneath his, his sleeve. So it's going to be interesting to see how all that develops. That's really wild, Mike. You got any more for Evan? Uh, that's it. It's going to be an interesting yeah. division. I think the Bucks should really be, you know, probably favored in. And uh, I don't know unless something crazy happens, like Evan said, with health, they probably are the odds-on favorite. Keep yeah, an I eye. I was like, keep an eye. Keep an eye on Atlanta, though, man. Like Arthur Smith, he is a really good coach. He's going to figure out how to get that offense going. Now, granted, the offensive line really has to step up. Um, but he knows how to coach to his players' strengths. And before they traded Julio Jones, I thought Atlanta could be a huge dark horse in the NFC, especially if they can get the defensive side of things going. Now that Julio's gone, at the, the shine has fallen off that a lot. However, still, they're going to cause some problems for some teams this year. Um, I'm really, really intrigued with them to see how that all works out. So now we actually do have a question here. And for Evan, he knows that he knows exactly who this is when I say this college, uh, Wagner College in Staten Island. Uh, and the reason why we bring that up here is because our good friend, Director of Media Relations, Brian Morales, has a question about Cam Gill. So bringing it back to the Bucks defense, I have to ask Evan, what are your impressions of Cam Gill? What is his ceiling in your estimation and best comparison to date? Yeah, he really turned it on towards the end of last year, you know, and he had the he was in on the sack with Indomic and Sue on Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. And I was really looking forward to see what he could do when I was down there in that first training camp. But he's been sidelined now. I think he might have returned back to practice today. I'm not entirely sure on that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he was sidelined for about the last week when it came to training camp. So he's a little bit behind on the death chart right now. But that being said, I mean, dude, you got to love the guy's speed. He's got the bend when it comes to being an outside edge rusher. And he's got the drive and determination. And at the end of the day, Bruce Arians loves grit more than anything else. He likes guys that are going to stick their nose in there, that, that that's not going to be afraid to get hit. Um, that's just all about being tough and reflecting, you know, what the spirit of football is all about. And that's what Cam Gill also uh, possesses. I mean, there's a reason why the Bucks kept him around and made him a protected player when he was on the practice squad last year and all that other good stuff. Uh, in terms of his ceiling, I need to see more snaps out of him. Obviously, as a reserve, you know, he's not going to get that many chances. But like I said, he did look like he turned it on towards the end of last year. In terms of ceiling right now, I say I would say he could develop develop into a quality backup. Um, but like I said, it's just kind of tough to say right now. However, if he didn't get back on the practice squad, which something is like pulling at me right now saying – or sorry, if he didn't get back on the practice field, which like I said, something that me is pulling at me, telling me that he did today. But if he – if he's still out, you know, you hope that he returns soon. But even if he doesn't, I think he's still a lock to make the Bucks practice squad uh, this year. He might not make the 53, especially with Joe Tryon showing out like he's shown out. Um, but he'll definitely be on the practice squad for sure. Well, there you go. Brian Morales from Wagner College, Director of Media Relations. Thank you very much, B, for your question. Uh, Evan, I got a couple more for you here. And actually, DeLuke, I believe, has another one here for yeah, you. Yeah, Joey, go, you go ahead first, Joey. Okay, so we'll close it out with DeLuca. But, uh, Evan, for uh, obviously we've got, you know, exactly one month away from today is the opening game. Dallas against the Bucks. okay? Um, we know all about it. We've been hearing that for the last... Ever ever since Super Bowl, ever since the Super Bowl 
uh, finished, and Tom Brady, you know, just raised yet another an, an, uh, an, another ring. So it, it, it's it's evident. We know that they've got also the Patriots on the schedule. The return to Foxborough for Tom. Um, there, there's just so many good games on, on the schedule here, Evan. What sticks out? And I'm going to put you on the spot here. Aside from the Dallas game, and aside from the Pats game, which game sticks out to you most of all? The Bills are high up there. Uh, you know, I think that's week. Let's see. There's, it's so. I still have to get used to this. There's 18 weeks in the yeah. season now. I want to say the Bills are week 14 or week 15, one of the two. But either way, the Bucks get them at home. 14, Josh yeah. Allen, Josh Allen, right now, just you know, obviously played out of his mind last year. They're one of the hotter teams in the league. But honestly, there's one game that I am anticipating more than that. And it's the LA Rams in SoFi Ooh. Stadium, you know, going, I think it's week five that they have to go there. I think it's right after, no, it's week three, week, right, week right three, before, yeah. yeah, right before the Patriots game. And not only, you know, is that game just going to be interesting, and that's my one big road game that I'm going to try to cover this year. I always Ooh. try to make one long distance trip. Dude, that, the stadium just looks sick. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm not a materialistic person at the end of the day. But holy hell, if I if I can't get into that stadium and just play with all the nice shiny toys, but anyway, um, it's going to be interesting to see how the Bucks play in, in that game, going all the way to the West Coast, having to come back and then go up to New England. You know, because New England is no short trip in itself. Uh, so that's going to be a really interesting back to back slate. But the Rams and the Bills, man, for sure. Uh, because, you know, that could be a potential NFC championship preview. It could be a potential Super Bowl preview. And honestly, Matthew Stafford in that offense is one of my, like, top three storylines this year. I cannot wait to see just what – and they don't even have to be good. You know, they could completely suck. And I would <laughs> – I would, I'm still, like, completely intrigued to see how that turns out because it just – it has all the makings of a lot of fun at the end of the day. Now I have to ask you this as a uh, as an Eagles fan, and I know DeLuca is probably asking you this too. So I guess the Eagles game was not a good one to go to, or maybe <laughs> no, the Giants game year. was not a good was not a good one to go to. Honestly, and this is probably going to hurt, but I think the Giants game has more intrigue than the Eagles game. That so. is completely oh, fair. Well, of course it does, because it br it br it brings the factor of are the New York Giants still Tom Brady's kryptonite or not? Yeah, um, true. I just years. I just want to see Joe Judge making everybody do push-ups on the sideline for like five minutes straight. That's just what I want. I to love see. it. And then and then and then Evan, and then you get to see everybody just walk out following practice, right, or retire. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, Poor Monte Davis. <laughs> Say, Evan, my, my last, my last question for you, man. Uh, nose tackle, uh, uh, Vita Vea. Uh, how does he look? And we obviously, the last time we saw him, you spoke about the Chicago Bears game. That was the last time we got to see him, Week Five last year. Uh, there were some talks maybe he might be able to come back for the Super Bowl. Did not happen. Where is his ceiling this year? And how good can he make this defense? Uh, heading into 2021. Yeah, well, he actually did come back for the uh, NFC Championship. Oh, yes. Yeah, right. he, he just yeah. played super limited snaps. But, yeah, yes. either way. But, um, but yeah, and, and at the end of the day, he he still wasn't 100%. Um, but at this point, he is 100%. Bruce Arians said he still needs to lose, like, three to four pounds. But at the end of the day, a guy that big, you know, what what's three to four pounds? But while I was down there in training camp, and this is just – how insanely athletic he is for a six foot three, three hundred and forty-seven pound nose tackle. He literally, Ronald Jones broke off this run going up the far left sideline. Vitavea literally, after shedding his block, chased Ronald Jones down from behind. 
Like and to cap to cap it off, he lost his shorts at the end of the play too, which was really funny. But uh, he he literally chased Ronald Jones down from the line of scrimmage to 15 yards downfield. It was just absolutely ridiculous. And this guy, I mean, Todd Bowles said it best uh, during his interview the day after he just received his three-year extension. He said, Vita is great to have around because he gets double teamed, but he also beats double teams. So, I mean, it's just the best of both worlds. And, dude, if he's healthy for all 16 games, I mean, this defense is just completely different. Like, he is the difference between this defense being very, very good and this defense being elite. And when he's on the field, it just allows them to do so much more with their pass rush and just coverage uh, schemes in general and blitz packages. So, so far, so good. You know, and just keep your fingers crossed because he's had injury issues every single year. Um, he's He missed his first two training camps. He, had, he missed the first four games of his rookie year. Um, and then last year, obviously, you know, the fractured ankle. So, you know, you just hope that you can get a full, healthy year out of him. And if that's the case, then this – this defense, the sky is the absolute limit. Quick rapid fire for you, Evan. Unbiased. We need your numbers one through four. That's the As one. DeLuca always says. So you know what, DeLuca? I will let you take it away because that is that is your segment. I'm sorry. Yeah, we do it. We do it. We do it. We've been doing it every week ever since we started these division previews. That is true. Yeah, Evan, real quick, how do you one to four? How do you feel in 17 game season? What's the Bucks record? What's their seed? And what are they doing with that? So right now I've got them at 12 and five. That's because their record is just so damn easy. But at the same time, the things that I've seen in training camp and granted, like I said, it's first week. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot left to be desired. Um, the Super Bowl target on their back is huge. And then you've also got to think at some point someone's going to get hurt. You know, you got to factor in injuries. So I'm going to go with a modest 12 and five. I know there's a lot of people out there saying 14 and three, you know, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, there's also a rough, patch they go through i think it's weeks four to nine where they got to play a lot of, no wait, it's weeks three to nine where they got to play a lot of road games and if they can come out of that just above 500 they'll be fine but um either way i still think they're going to be one of the top five teams in the league 12 and five they win the division is that good enough to get the overall one seed probably not and there's probably going to be a team in a weaker division like uh Right off the top of my head, maybe that NFC North, you know, with the Packers, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Mr. COVID in Minnesota and, uh, the, you know, the Lions, we know, just aren't going to do anything. Um, and then the Bears, <laughs> Andy Dalton, that's all I got to say. So, so there's a great chance that a team like the Packers in a, in a worse division could, you know, could capitalize yeah. and, and get that number one seed. Right now, though, I would say number two seed. Um, and then let's hope the Packers get upset so they can get home field throughout. So that, that, that would be my prediction. And if, if we're just going to go ahead and you probably didn't ask this, Rob, but I'm just going to go and throw it out there because I just feel like doing it now. But right now, <laughs> if I had to pick, I would say they do get to the Super Bowl yeah. and they, they will repeat. I mean, there's oh, just – Oh, right. I did ask you that. So, yeah, okay, cool. Okay. Well, you <laughs> you're getting it anyway. You know, but, uh, I mean, just right now, and this is all bias aside, I swear, like – I mean, 2003 was awesome going in then because the Bucks only lost Dexter Jackson. Granted, he was the Super Bowl MVP, but uh, that's the only player they lost going in. But then, I mean, just injury after injury, close game after close game, you know, things just absolutely went downhill. The locker room started fighting, all that stuff. There's too much leadership in this locker room to let something like that get too far. Um, 
And right now, man, it is just so hard not to feel bulletproof going into this season. Like I said, the injuries are there, you know, but just from how everything's coming along, the rookies outside of Kyle Trask um, and a few others, I mean, man, like I said, it's just so hard not to feel bulletproof going into the season. I think there's going to be a couple of times where the Bucks get bested and you don't expect it, but that's football. Um, but right now, I, I have them repeating. There's no reason to think they won't. Just keep in mind, there is one game that sticks out, and that is the Philadelphia game. They are going to best the Eagles 45 to 0. That is happening. <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, the lead writer of the Bucks Report for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, make sure you visit his site, Bucks Report, thebucksreport.com. Evan. Thank you so much for spending uh, about 33 minutes of your time here on the Primetime Rundown. As always, you're like a good friend to us, man. We really appreciate you coming on as always. Yeah, like I said, thanks for having me on. Uh, definitely, hey, when the Eagles are playing the Bucks, we're going to have to get together on my side of things and definitely have to have a little throwdown and talk some football for sure. And anytime, anytime y'all want to talk, I'm always down. So let's Absolutely, get it Evan. And Mike, it is nice meeting you, man. Yeah, same here. Go be with your son. We'll see you soon. Thanks so much again. See you guys. Take All it right, easy. Bud. Thanks, man. You too. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, of course, a great session with uh, with Mike Zabo, guys. Let us get uh, – unfortunately, we don't really have enough time for Lionel Messi, but we do know that there were a lot of tears. Uh, he's heading over to PSG, uh, and, and there was big picture, obviously, of him uh, with the Eiffel Tower. Really weird stuff to see on my side of things. And I yeah. know for, for you guys as well, I know Mike is a big soccer fan as well. So really, that's definitely uh, some odd things to see. Guys, I want to get to our kudos. Mike Zabo, let's get to you first. And let me know uh, when to play the video. Yeah, so yeah, right after, I'll just like, I have a little intro for it. Please I do. My, my, my kudos for, um, you know, for this week, for this show is the U.S. men's national team in soccer uh, last Sunday getting that Gold Cup final win over Mexico. Two finals this summer that the U.S. Uh, men's soccer team has gotten. Uh, two final wins over Mexico. They had the Nations League win with Christian Pulisic and all of their A-list guys back in June in Denver. Uh, so they won the Nations League there. And then they came into the Gold Cup with a bunch of experimental guys. They rotated the squad and... A bunch of guys who were MLS guys or lower Europe, you could really call it your, their B or C team, whatever you want to call it. They were able to, to run the table in the tournament and go all the way to the final and beat basically the same Mexico team that their A guys beat in June. This It was, an inc it was incredible to watch. I honestly did not expect it uh, um, coming into the final. I thought, you know, they did great. And then the final hit Mexico would probably best them. But it was an absolutely incredible performance. Second youngest team in American soccer history in a major tournament final at 24 years, 236 days. Uh, it was only second to that Nations League team back in June. So the youth movement coming around, it was really inspiring to see. And you can show the clip now. Just an incredible goal. I was watching it. And oh, the, the delight, because you didn't expect it to happen. And then when it did, right there at extra time, because I thought if they were going to go to penalties, wasn't going to happen. But that goal was just unbelievable, an unbelievable moment for in U.S. soccer history. I think it shows a shift in balance and in, in power in CONCACAF. 
All right, here we go. Let's take a peek at the first 20 seconds of this clip here uh, with uh, Miles Robinson. He went down. He was stretching out his right calf. He's back to his feet. Callan Acosta to take. 117th minute. Acosta hooks it into the traffic. A free header. Yeah, and you know what? And and because of and obviously I would have played the whole video, but just because of time strains, I had to cut that short. But that honestly gave me the chills. That oh, really I got chill. I got chills right now because I I was watching I was watching right along live. I got I got him then, and I got him right now again. That's really amazing. <sighs> really amazing stuff to see. Uh, Rob DeLuca, let's get your kudos. Yeah, uh, looks like another year, another broadcasting legend retiring from the game of hockey. Mike Lang, 46 amazing years as the Pittsburgh Penguins radio play-by-play, man. Congratulations on your retirement. Your voice is known to more than just Penguins fans. It's known to hockey fans all around. One of the viral voices out there. You go onto YouTube, hear top broadcasting clips. His name, you're going to hear his voice right there with some of his signature goal calls. You know, you know, he shoots and scores. You know, you got to scratch his back with a hacksaw. Tell his grandma to get in the fast lane because the bingo game is starting. And for one final time, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Uh, Thank you, Mike Lang. Really amazing, uh, amazing stuff. And and you've hear you've heard plenty of critics of Mike Lang and, and opposers of Mike Lang and I am not an opposer. I love that man. He was fat. It was absolutely fantastic. And I really wish him the best in retirement as well. My kudos goes to the United States of America, 113 overall medals in this year's summer Olympics. Absolutely phenomenal. They beat out China who had 88 on the season and 113 medals this year. Guys, I think the gold, I think the gold medal race with China Joey was yeah. something spectacular. 39-38, yeah. It was and it was 38-36 going into the final night with mm-hmm. only with only about 5 events left. And and China had a gold medal opportunity. And they, and they blew it. it. So really really crazy stuff, fellas. But ladies and gentlemen, that has concluded our show. Let us pay a couple of bills here. So tomorrow night, the Essential Wrestling Podcast will return at its normal time live Tuesday, August 10th at 6 p.m. The show is presented to you by prowrestlingpickem.com. Join our guys, Al Carl, Ryan Joy, John Decani, John Smith, and Gary Meheffy as they take you through the world of wrestling. Also, They will be back on August 21st, Saturday at 3 p.m. for their WWE SummerSlam special. That's going to take place right here on the Eastern Observer as well. Saturday, August 21st, starting at 3 p.m. Also, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to start your morning every single morning with the Daily Wrestling News Show at 10 a.m. Eastern Time with your host, Ryan Joy. Minutes to Bell Time is the creator. Presented to you by Minutes to Bell Time, rather. That can be seen right here on the Eastern Observer, Monday through Thursday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Also, one more time, ladies and gentlemen, please subscribe to us by searching the Primetime Rundown on the following platforms. Google Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and YouTube by searching the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Network. All great things ahead here for this show. Next week, we will be previewing the AFC East. 
And uh, it's going to be a damn fun one. We're going to have Ian Schreier back with us following a two-week break. It's going to be tons of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, and also Mike Zabo, cannot thank you enough for joining us here tonight and coming in here in place of Ian Schreier. Yep, absolutely. Always great to talk with you guys. You know, I'm always down to talk some great sports. So thanks for having me on. There's no doubt about it. Ladies and gentlemen, one final time for my 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 guys. My goodness, I can't even speak anymore. For my guys, Rob DeLuca and Mike Zabo, for all of us at the Eastern Observer, as well as the Blackjack Media Group, I'm Joey Jarzinka. We'll see you next time.